This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everybody, this is the other side of midnight. Well, if the opinion surveys are at all to be believed, then you are ready to break out of your shell and hit the road. Yes, that's right. According to a new poll from or new survey from the U.S. Travel Association, nearly nine out of 10 Americans, 85 percent of them, to be precise, are expecting to travel this summer. Half of them plan to take two weeks or more off. Uh, AAA reports that 2022 travel bookings are off to a much stronger start compared with this time last year, while the CEO of Expedia Group predicts this summer will be the busiest travel season Ever. New York, Las Vegas, Orlando, all popular destinations. London, Paris, Cancun, national parks are popular too. So much so that including Yosemite, they're now requiring reservations in order to enter. So what's driving this? Well, most people are saying they're calling what we're about to experience in two months the summer of revenge travel. And after two years of pandemic-related cancellations, restrictions, uh, fears, Americans are now splurging on what they're calling revenge travel to make up for lost time and take that vacation that they weren't able to take a year or two ago, treating themselves to premium airfares, nicer accommodations, and longer stays. So, I mean, if you look at what's happening with the economy, there's a lot to be worried about. I mean, we're nowhere near a recession, but this inflation is making it very hard to buy things. So even though inflation is making everything more expensive, and then, look, there is the risk of a widening conflict in Eastern Europe, as we've been covering. Travelers appear to be tired of putting their plans on hold, and they're seeking retribution against COVID and its grip on their lives. What about you? Are you somebody that's been cooped up for two years and are just ready to break out and hit the road? In my, you know, in my case, my wife and I are going to do a week in Cape May, I think in August, and then in June, I'm just going for a few days, really a long weekend, to uh, Hawaii for my brother's wedding. I don't know, aside from what I hope is an occasional trip to Atlantic City, I don't know that we have any other travel plans, but it's difficult to travel with a, a little a little child. But, um, you know, I, I was never that into traveling, but I've, I've grown a new appreciation for it. And you know what it was? I was always so involved in politics and always so involved in the leadership of these different political parties that summer was a very difficult month to get away because that's when petitioning is, then that's when the challenges to petitioning is, then that's when independent nominating petitioning is, then before you know it, you got to get ready for the primary, which used to be in September. But now that I'm not in the leadership of the politi- of a political party, I feel a lot less guilty about about going away. 
And I've grown a new appreciation. I used to never like to leave the five boroughs of New York City, but I've grown a new appreciation for what other communities might have to offer, not only around the country, but around the world, and all the things you can learn from being around different communities and uh, everything that that does to make you appreciate New York a little bit more. Brian Kelly, the CEO of The Points Guy, which is a travel advisory website, says people are saying, let's pull the trigger and travel for real this time. Now, I traveled even when there were a lot of restrictions. We went to Cape May last year. We went to Cape May the year before that. I went to Vegas in March around the time that there was a, a new variant popping up. I've lost track of the the variants. I'm trying to think where else I went over the last two years. Uh, I think that might be it. But nearly nine out of ten Americans are expecting to travel this summer. I think that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing for the travel industry, which has been battered economically by two years of restrictions and cancellations. I am still waiting for them to lift the mask requirement on um, on domestic air travel. To my knowledge, you still have to wear a mask if you get on an airplane. Now, I don't know if they've changed that and nobody told me, but isn't that a little crazy? 800-848-9222. I'm curious if you're one of the people that is planning on traveling this year and uh, this summer, to be precise, and if you have any qualms about doing so, given where we are with inflation, because based on these numbers from the U.S. Travel Association, people don't care. They're saying to hell with inflation. We're going away. And I remember O'Reilly was on with John Katsimatidis, I want to say it was May or June of 2020, and he was on the Katz Roundtable on uh, Sunday morning, and O'Reilly predicted, he said, I really do think the economy is going to come back quickly because people are tired of being cooped up and they want to get out to ball games and they want to go out to restaurants and they want to experience all the things that they've been denying themselves. Now, who knew there was going to be a whole resurgence of this stuff in 2021? And for all we know, there could be another one. They're talking about lockdowns in China, lockdowns in Europe. So who knows? But people aren't just traveling more. They're spending more. And why not? Many people are feeling flush after hunkering down for the past two years. Some also have travel vouchers from previously canceled trip trips that they're eager to use. Travel prices have also risen sharply this year. This I wasn't aware of, uh, but it makes sense given the soaring cost of jet fuel. It makes sense that it's going to be more expensive to uh, to travel and get airline tickets. 800-848-WABC if you want to comment. Curious if you're one of these 85% of the people that's planning a trip this summer. Why or why not? 800-848-WABC. Now, uh, coming up in just about uh, 10 minutes, we're going to talk with my, my friend Warner Wolf. I really got to know, I was always, I've been a fan of Warner's my whole life, but I really got to know Warner well working here. I worked with him uh, when he joined our station back in 2004 or 2005 after he was let go by Channel 2, and we've been uh, pretty good friends ever since then, and I've certainly been a big fan of his work. It's opening day, and for those of us that are baseball fans, this is big, and uh, I am really looking forward to baseball this year, not only at the major league level, but I'm excited about this new independent league team that uh, our owner, John Katsimatidis, has a, a majority stake in the uh, Staten Island Ferry Hawks, and a fellow that I used to work for, Gary Perone, happens to be the general manager of that team. So that's exciting. Let me give you some numbers on the travel front. Um, 
Domestic airfares are up 40% since the beginning of the year. Now, that's pretty significant. And now, that's according to Hopper, which is a travel app that tracks and predicts flight and hotel prices. That's about 7% above pre-pandemic prices. Hopper is predicting that domestic fares are going to keep on rising another 10% to an average of $360 by May. So I guess the lesson there is if you're thinking about planning a trip, do it now. Buy your tickets now so you don't have to pay uh, the additional additional uh, airline fee. You know, my, my wife and I have been holding off my brother-in-law See, everyone I'm related to loves these destination weddings. My brother-in-law is getting married in December in Mexico. So we've been holding off on buying tickets because my wife was saying, oh, who knows if there's going to be another outbreak and they're going to restrict things again. But uh, after seeing this data from Hopper, I'm starting to think, well, maybe we should plan that trip now and book those airline prices now. Because listen to this number, international fares are likely to rise about 15% between now and June. So I'm going to, I mean, uh, my next paycheck, I think maybe that's when we'll go about trying to buy these uh, airline tickets to, to Mexico. The rise of premium leisure travel is one of the biggest trends to come out of the pandemic, even though business travel remains weak. Because everything's into Zoom meetings and telecommuting now, first-class cabins are filled with passengers who are willing to pay extra for a more luxurious experience. Airlines are catering to this whole new class of traveler by investing in expanded cabins, more comfortable seats, and fancier airport lounges. I love those airport lounges. i got to tell you. Although I have noticed that... They have all sorts of restrictions. I I have an American Express Platinum card, and I got it primarily so that I could have access to the airport lounges. And I would plan my trips around getting extra layovers so I could check out the lounges in different airports. Then it used to be you can get into all these lounges for free. Then it could be, oh, well, you can get into these lounges for free, but you can't get into that lounge for free unless you're flying Delta. Oh, you can't bring a guest unless you pay $35. So I find them getting a lot stingier with the airport lounges. And um, Delta Airlines, for example, they plan to include lie-flat beds in a premium economy section on some of its newest planes. Now, how cool is that? Uh, That's according to uh, the, the airline weekly. United Airlines, meanwhile, introduced new vacation routes from New York, to the European islands of the Azores and Malarca. So uh, it is interesting. Do you think this is going to be the summer of what they call revenge travel? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. We got six open lines if you want to jump on board. That's uh, 800-848-9222. Warner Wolf will join me to talk baseball in a few minutes. And then uh, coming up around... 3.30, we have the AC report, as we do each and every Thursday morning. Uh, my guest this morning is going to be 
Uh, John Brennan. No, not the former director of the CIA. It's going to be John Brennan, who uh, is a journalist who's written for a lot of great publications. These days he covers the expansion of legal gambling for usbets.com. That's usbets.com. If you want to email me, you could do so, frank.moreno at wabcradio.com. That's frank.moreno at wabcradio.com. Or you could find me on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash moranofan. Uh, and we're also on Twitter. We haven't yet been banned. And I have a little more hope for Twitter now that Elon Musk has a majority stake. He's already been doing and saying a lot of the things that I've been calling for for uh, a long time uh, on Twitter at Frank M-O-R-A-N-O 800-848-WABC. Give me your take on the summer of revenge travel. Seven open lines now. If you want to jump on board, you'll be able to get right through. Ray is on Long Island. Hello, Ray. Hey, Frank. How you doing, buddy? I've been better. I've been worse. Right on. Listen, uh, you know, I got something to say. Uh, I was 47 years old. My uh, track mate was uh, 19 years old. What, what, what were you, an athlete? What do you mean a track mate? What is a track mate? A track mate means uh, we were working down in the tunnels. We were bending track, so the trains were on. I see. Okay. So you work for the MTA or something? Yeah, and this guy saved my life. He saved my life one night. He tackled me. He was as big as... Uh, Lawrence Taylor, I got four broken ribs. He just put me against the wall, and a train came shooting by because they didn't know we were down at. And you got to be careful because we got earplugs in, headphones, everything else. This guy saved my life. Deontay Jones might be listening tonight. Who's listening to WABC? And I get a little swelled up. This guy saved my life. I'm a white guy. He was a black guy. Why can't just take the mic and just get rid of all this nonsense going on? Yeah. Well, hey, that's what we're trying to do on a regular basis, Ray. It's a great story. I'm glad you survived. Yeah, you saved my life, man. Well, I owe him my life. That's great. I can't afford to lose any more listeners, Ray. So uh, I need as many of you living as possible. You, Frank, very much. Thank, Thank you, you very Ray. Much. Glad you're still alive. 800-848-9222. That's uh, 800-848-WABC uh, if you want to comment. Uh, we're going to talk to Warner Wolf in just a bit. And uh, then a little bit later, we'll talk uh, Atlantic City with John Brennan. Hey, a little bit later, uh, there's a fascinating story going on in uh, Patterson, New Jersey, that I'm going to I'm going to bring to your attention as well. All right, uh why don't we take a break here this way we'll have some time to talk baseball with uh, with Warner Wolf. This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. WABC WABC
This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Frank Morano. Well, there's still something just so exciting about opening day. If you're a baseball fan, whether an enthusiastic baseball fan or a casual baseball fan, there's just something about opening day which has you brimming with optimism. Your team at the end of opening day is either going to be undefeated or only one game out of first place. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the first time that you get to see a lot of these hot prospects it's the first time that you get to kind of shake off those wintertime baseball withdrawal blues. And I can't think of a better person to break down opening day in our area and in baseball in general with than the world's greatest sportscaster, longtime T- TV and radio sportscasting veteran, the one and only Warner Wolf. Uh, Warner, how are you, my friend? It's great to talk oh. with you. All right. I, uh, I accept the nomination. <laughs> Thank uh, you for that that build up. <laughs> uh, well, don't let us down now. That's always the uh, that's always the trick. How um how does the excitement of opening day these days compared to when you were growing up watching the Washington Senators many years ago? Do you think baseball's lost anything uh from 30, 40, 50 years ago or is opening day still just as exciting, just as compelling for baseball fans? <laughs> For me, it's not as exciting, uh, and I'll tell you why. Uh, number one, when I was growing up, Washington, the Washington Senators, the original Washington Senators, they had been there since uh, 1901, they were the only game being played. No one else played on that day. They played by themselves. And the president of the United States always threw out the first ball. It was very exciting. Uh, By the way, the reason uh, the president doesn't throw out the first ball anymore is that the players, they put both teams on the field, and the president would throw the ball from the stands, and it wound up many times players would spike each other (laughs) trying to get the ball. So that's why today you just see – the president by himself on the mound, throw to the catcher. <laughs> so there's no injuries. But uh, in all honesty, Frank, uh, I've always felt that uh, opening day is overrated. Uh, it's only one game. You have 161 left. It doesn't matter what you do opening day. And the other thing is, well, you might get 50,000 people opening day, the second game probably only gets 10,000. <laughs> so, you know, no, you know, I would say no. I'm... But go ahead, Frank. No, no, please go ahead. No. Oh, for me, growing up, uh, the most, and still is, the most exciting opening day I've ever seen. You got to go back to 1953. Now that's, uh, let's see, 47, that's uh, 69, 71 years ago. (laughs) I I was 13. But here was the deal. The world champion Yankees were the opposition. They were in town, and they were playing the lowly Senators, who had finished 17 games out. So this is opening day, April 1953. Well, the score was 3-3. I was at the game. The score was 3-3 in the bottom of the 10th inning. One man on, and I believe it was Allie Reynolds, 
who was great. You know, he was a starter and a reliever. He was pitching to Mickey Vernon, who was a two-time American League batting champion, and boom, he hit a two-run homer, and the Senators beat the Yanks 5-3. to three. And you would have thought that the Senators just won the World Series <laughs> rather than just one game. And get this, Frank, as Vernon is rounding the bases and the fans are standing and cheering, he's coming toward the plate, and all of a sudden, a Secret Service agent jumps on the field and says, come over here. President Eisenhower wants to shake your hand after you touch home plate. Oh, so, my. I mean, it was, I'll tell you, it was, that was the best opening day I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> One thing I've noticed, not just opening day, but sort of the early games at the beginning of the season, I remember going to school and sneaking in a transistor radio so that I could listen to the, the Mets and even the Yanks. These days, it seems there are so few day games at the beginning of the season, especially, and uh, that sort of that sort of habit of watching as soon as you get home from school or sneaking a radio into school to listen to the game on the radio, it doesn't really it doesn't really exist anymore. Why did they move away from those early season daytime games? Oh, because television, there's more audience at night. Uh, there weren't that many enough people watching in the daytime. It's the same thing with the All-Star game. They always played in the daytime. But then they said, oh, look, wait a minute, we can get more TV people at night, as they do in the World Series. That was always played in the daytime. And like you, yes. I enjoyed it. Uh, I would run home from school and and watch, uh, gosh, All-Star Game, World Series, opening game. Sure, of course. That's a lost art. That's gone. They just turned it over to TV. Mm, It's such a shame. Now, um, what are the big changes that are coming to baseball in general this year? We've been hearing a lot about the universal DH. We've been hearing a lot about uh, different rules that were experimented with with respect to extra inning games. I know in the minor leagues, they're experimenting with larger bases. If you're a major league baseball fan and you tune in to opening day today, what's going to be different than previous years? Well, let me just hit one thing, which I, I think is one of the worst rules in history. To start an extra inning game with a man on second, as they did last year, that's the worst rule there is. How can, you know, if, if that had been done, uh, you may never have seen uh, Carlton Fisk's home run in the 12th inning of mm. that 1975 World Series. Uh, that's maybe one of the most famous home runs in history. Or even Jeter's home run in the 2001 World Series, bottom of the 10th, maybe not. So I, I, I really, you know, what was wrong with an extra inning game? Get rid of that guy on second. I, I don't like that at all. So now, is that rule in, in place for this year, that extra inning rule? Yeah, they didn't. They, they had a chance to knock it out, and they didn't. So... Now, in terms of the universal DH, I know this was a big sticking point in negotiations between the players' union and the owners. Is that already starting this year? Is the National League yes. going to have the DH? Yeah. Uh, well, that, that, what's your take on that? Well, number one, uh, it's too bad for the uh, 
borderline players, say the, uh, oh, you're allowed 28 players now instead of 25. So the 28th player who might have had a shot on the roster, he's gone because you have the DH. They'll bring it in a DH. It's new life for uh, an old-time player who can only hit and can't run. Uh, but, you know, I mean, you can argue that and say, well, who wants to see a pitcher hit, ground out? But, <clears throat> you know, I'm an old-timer. To me, it was exciting when the pitcher got a base hit, far and mm-hmm. few between. But, hey, hey, the pitcher got a base hit, and they bring out the warm-up jacket. <laughs> now, they're going to announce – Just like they steal a page from the NFL. Uh, The umpires, like on the NFL, they they stop the game on a replay and say uh, the play stands as is or uh, the play has been reversed, and here's why. They're going to do that in baseball. The umpires are going to stop and say to the fans in the ballpark, announce to the fans, and, of course, home TV, the ruling on the field stands. The guy was safe at first. Or the ruling has been overruled. The uh, right fielder dropped the ball. He trapped it. Well, so uh, I, I think that's interesting. <laughs> well, it's it certainly, I mean, look, it, we've seen a lot of games turn because of a poor decision by an umpire in one circumstance or another, it would seem yeah. to me that e- even though it removes an element of the human factor in the game, it would seem to me that is largely a positive. Do you disagree? Yeah, no, I agree with you. Yeah. Well, but, you know, there was always, you always got a kick out of, you know, fans booing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. But now there can be no booing. It's either they're right or wrong. Okay, I guess that's what you want in the first place. But also, the last thing is they're going to have uh, uh, the catcher's going to have a, a, a in his hand something where he punches up which pitch he wants the pitcher to throw, electronic deal, and the pitcher will have something in his cap where he hears it and but also the center fielder and I think the second baseman and shortstop will also have him in their head now I'm thinking number one suppose the catcher presses the wrong button (laughs) (laughs) right and the the pitcher (laughs) throws the ball and he gets a home run oh gee I pressed the wrong button (laughs) oh man number two how soon do you think it'll be before a hacker comes in on the other team and they hack the signals from the catcher? You know that's going to happen sooner uh, or later. It's a great point. It's a great point. We've seen yeah. uh, with the with the Astros cheating scandal and uh, yeah. with the Patriots football that uh, a lot of these teams no problem using uh, very sophisticated efforts at times to steal uh, signals yeah. or to steal plays or things of that nature. W- what about the playoff structure, Warner? I know there was a lot of talk about expanding the number of teams that were going to make the playoffs. Has that changed for this season? Didn't they uh, add one more team uh, to each league? 
that was my understanding. Yeah. I'm not sure if it takes effect this year or uh, or not. I mean, uh, on the one hand, it, it does potentially water down the folks that yes. make it. Uh, on the other hand, I guess it keeps a lot of teams in it longer than they otherwise would be. Yeah, well, I would say just put an asterisk there. If you if you don't have a winning season, if you're not playing over 500 ball, you shouldn't be able to qualify. No, get out. <laughs> I don't want to see you in there. And by the way, uh, with that signal business, Mm. I had another thought. If the center fielder knows which pitch is coming, let's say uh, it's, it's going to be an outside pitch. Well, and it's a uh, right-handed batter say, well, he's, he's going to know in advance He's going to shade toward uh, right center for a, a jump on the ball. Well, is that is that right? I mean, that's a, that's a form of cheating. I I thought that the uh, you know especially after the Giants used the telescope and a buzzer, and then you had the Astros that you weren't supposed to use any. Everything's legal. You can steal signs, but you can't use anything. Uh, electrical or technical, but here they're doing it. So I, I don't know. I, I don't like that. Just give Would the that signal in- to. What's that? No, I, I no, no. I mean, I, I certainly agree with you. I, I can't see a lot of these ball players wanting to have all these electronics in their cap and having a button that you have to press. Uh, I don't know what's been wrong with the way that we've been doing it for a hundred years, but uh, I guess that's why I'm not uh, not part of the the baseball commissioner's staff. Um, would that? replay situation that you alluded to earlier would that apply to the controversial check swing that uh that that the giants dealt with last year the san francisco giants in that very controversial end whether there was debate about whether the player checked his swing or not i would hope so it should it can't just be uh safe out fair foul or uh did the ball go in the stands or not I would think they'd have to use it for things like that. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Check it, it. Did he go around or not? Yeah. Yeah. Now, Warner, I think a lot of us who grew up watching you and listening to you on the radio, we always picture you on radio or on television talking about sports with your uh, patented catchphrases like, let's go to the videotape, give me a break, so on and so forth. When did commenting on when was that something that you knew that you wanted to pursue professionally? Oh, that's a well. Uh, I was a kid. I'm, you know, I was a youngster, and I, I used to say to myself, "Well, wait a minute, that's not right," or uh, "Why would he do that?" So I think I was always, uh, whether you want to call it second second guess or observing uh, what's normally, and and by the time I. Uh, I went to college. I was on the radio station, WAMU, in American University in Washington. I was already doing that. And then, of course, uh, my first radio job uh, was in Pikeville, Kentucky. And uh, I would would do it. Although, uh, you know, when you start in a small station, you do the news, the weather, uh, the sports, obituary shows, everything. So I, every time I would give uh, an opinion on sports, 
the general manager would come in and say, Warner, nobody cares about that. (laughs) (laughs) I remember I told him once, uh, Mickey Vernon, we talked about earlier, uh, became the manager of the expansion senators. And I, it was 1961 and, uh, they were not a very good team. You know, they, they picked draft choices from other teams. And they were they were almost 500 ball uh, midway through the season. And I said, man, what a, what a managerial job. I said, this is terrific. And I went on. <laughs> and he, he came barging through the door, the general manager. He says, Warren, this is Pikeville, Kentucky. Nobody cares about the Washington Senators. <laughs> <laughs> now that team, uh, the 1961 expansion Senators, that's the team that eventually became the Texas Rangers, right? Well, no, nah. no, they first. Oh, wait a minute. Now I've got yes, the old, the real Senators. Uh, you know, till 1960. I mean, that's the real Senators, uh, which I grew up watching. They left in 1960 and went to Minnesota and became the Minnesota Twins. Then, you're right, the, they gave Washington an expansion team, and they lasted until 1971, and mm. then they moved to Texas. So we had three different teams. You know, if you look at it that way, it's uh, I always felt bad the Dodgers and Giants left Brooklyn and New York, but Hey, we uh, <clears throat> we lost the uh, same team. One went to Minnesota, then the expansion team came, and they went to Texas. So, gosh, that's really horrible. Yeah. Hey, I've you got know, a it, trivia it, opening day. I'm ready. Opening Please. day trivia question. Only one, this is opening day, only one time in the history of baseball did the batting averages of one team not change. Uh, well, that was when Bob Feller threw the only opening day no-hitter in history. I don't remember what team he did it against. but White Sox. <laughs> All right, so I wouldn't have gotten the White Sox, but I knew it was Bob Feller. Very good, Frank. Very good. Thank You're you. on your game. Thank you. Uh, thank you. I'm trying. Um, you know, I know a lot of the old uh, baseball stuff a lot better than I know some of the present day uh, baseball <laughs> stuff. Uh, a couple of quick questions before I let you go, Warner, and I appreciate you being so generous with your time. Sure. But um, th- there were a lot of. To, I've got nothing else to do, Frank. One... <laughs> I, I hear that's what happens oh. once you move to Florida. Yeah. Oh, I love it here. Oh, man. I play. You know what the big thing is? Pickleball. Oh, you know, I, I've been try. I'm a big ping pong fan, and I've been wanting to try pickleball. I haven't played it yet. Is it as fun as everybody says? Yes, it is the most uh, participating participating sport. It is the biggest participating sport in the United States right now. They're talking about maybe even adding it to the Olympics. Could you see that? Sure. They, they, world championships are here in Naples. Man, you, you see, the thing is, everybody can play. The age, even if you can't run, you can still play pickleball. 
it's a combination of, like you say, a ping pong, racquetball, uh, tennis, and it just throws it all into one. It's a terrific game. I play uh, five days a week, Monday through Friday. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, no, uh, that sounds like a lot of fun. I can't wait to play. In terms of the baseball season this year, uh, there are all the COVID restrictions um, pretty much gone these days? Is it going to be no. a, a conventional baseball season the way a lot of fans are used to seeing it go? No. The Yankees have uh, 10 games in Toronto. 10 games. So any player that hasn't been vaccinated, not only will they not play, they're not going to get paid. They're going to lose 10-game salary. I mean, that's a lot of money to some of those guys. So unless they say, you know what, Uh, that's too much money, I'll I'll take a shot. By the way, I've had four shots, booster shots. Four, I'm up I'm up to three, so you're you're one, you're one ahead of me. Yeah. Uh, we're talking with legendary sportscaster Warner Wolf. All right, uh, the Mets are playing in Washington today, not the Senators, but the Nationals. Uh, what's your take? I mean, every year it seems like the same situation for those of us that are Mets fans. We begin the season with a lot of optimism, and <laughs> then there's always some injuries which cause our, our balloon to be popped. This season, it's Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer. Yeah. Um would you be optimistic if you were a Met fan at this point? Uh, well, obviously not as optimistic as I was. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, gosh, you're talking about two of the best pitchers in baseball, not only on the Mets, but in baseball, American League and National League. I mean, you, you, what is it, five Cy Young Awards between the two of them? And, I mean, you could go out there, if they were healthy, uh, you'd have a you'd have a chance to see a no hitter. Now you can't say that about uh, a lot of pitchers, but gosh, if they're not healthy, no, <laughs> you know because all the teams improved. Phillies improved, right? The Braves, goodness, um, no, they they'd have a tough time without those two guys. So that that mm. that's strictly uh, up the air in the air, you know. If they're healthy, great. If not, no. Yeah. Uh, What do you see as the big pitfall uh, for the Mets this year? In recent years, a lot of it has had to do with middle relief. Do you see that still being an Achilles heel for them? Well, not only middle relief. How about a closer? I mean, we get all these these names always come in and they blow blow the save. Poor, Poor DeGrom. I mean, I think, oh, my gosh. How many games did they... He either blew, he had the lead, or he, they blew the they blew the lead, and uh, when you know, it's just he he just deserved uh, much better. Has always. I- Better record. He, no, he, he he couldn't catch a break. I mean, I don't know of a Cy Young winner twice that won that few games and still yeah. won the Cy Young. Uh, and to your point, I think that's exactly right. So fingers crossed for those of us that are uh, that are Met fans. Now I know the Yankees are rained out today, but how do you think the Yankees season looks? Well, I'm looking at it, all this hoopla, hoopla. They really have one bona fide starter. Right? Garrett Cole. Who Who's mm. next? I mean, he, sure, yeah, they're okay. Severino, Montgomery. And, who who knows what those guys? No, that's, to me, that's a question mark. Um, 
No, I I wouldn't uh, say, oh, yeah, the Yankees. Hey, sure, they can hit, but, you know, pitching is the game. Good pitching always beats good hitting. So... When you talk about good hitting, I don't think there's a better hitter in the history of Major League Baseball than uh, than the splendid splinter, Ted Williams. And I, I was reminded of Ted Williams listening to you talking about the expansion senators. I think towards the end of their tenure in Washington, he was actually the manager of that team and then managed the Texas Rangers. He never really seemed to have the same sort of success as a manager that he did as a player. And we see that a lot. We see a lot of players that uh, are are stars that try to manage that clearly have a very good head for baseball, but they're not necessarily able to translate that uh, success as a player to success as a manager. Why do you think some players uh, tend to make better managers than others? Well, number one, he was, by the way, to me, he was the greatest hitter of all time. Uh, The greatest all around player of all time for me was Willie Mays. Except 1956, when Mickey Mantle won the Triple Crown. <laughs> but uh, sure. I think the reason, Frank, uh, they can't understand what came, I don't want to say easy to them, because it didn't come easy. It took hours and hours of practice. But what came easier to them, they couldn't understand, how come you can't do this? How come you can't pick this up? And they they lose their patience. Uh, the other thing, you know, if you're an outfielder like uh, Williams, you don't really know pitchers. You don't know. But if you're a catcher, that's mm. why many, most, I, I think if you took a survey, most managers were ex-catchers because the whole game is in front of them. They see the whole game and obviously manage the pitchers as when they're catchers. But they they have a different view. That's why they make good managers. If you're a catcher, you, you have a big advantage. By the way, I'll tell you one quick Ted Williams story. So spring training, and he's he just has no patience. And all of a sudden, I think he had to be uh, in his 50s. Oh, he had to be. He takes off his jersey and goes to the plate, picks up a bat, and t- and I, I can't remember who was picking. He says, come on, give me your best stuff. Now, granted, the, the, you know, the distance in spring training, they're usually shorter than uh, the major leagues. Uh, unless it's Fenway Park, but he's hitting uh, to right field. Frank, he hit the wall four times, hit three balls over the fence, and hit line drives the rest of the time. Wow! I wow. mean, it was if you had been there, and it was after the game. I mean, it was wow, wow! Look at this guy; he could still hit. I wonder if he would have. Uh, been a designated hitter. <laughs> oh, I, I, he might have played another 10 years. And one wonders what his records would have been like had he not lost five years oh. to military service. I mean, That's he could have right. broken every record there was. Um, yeah. You know, you mentioned Ted, Will, uh, you mentioned Willie Mays, uh, his godfather, of course, or he's the godfather to Barry Bonds, who has yeah. won 
more MVPs than any Major League Baseball player in history. And this was a recent source of uh, contention. We spoke about it here on the radio. Both Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens still not in the Hall of Fame, probably because of the very serious allegations that they used performance-enhancing drugs. What is your take on whether players like Clemens, Bonds, McGuire, people who used performance-enhancing drugs and played very, very well, whether they should be in the Hall of Fame or not? No. No. They They cheated. The one word comes right out, cheated. I remember I asked Hank Aaron. I, said, I, I remember that. I, I, edit, I edited that interview for you 18 oh, yeah. years ago. And he said, yes, it's a form of cheating. Uh, and now here's another point. I think it's very important. Bonds hurt, especially borderline pitchers who might have stayed around. They went to the minor leagues. Or that was the end of their career. How many pitchers did he cheat, uh, you know, with his home runs and cause the pitcher to lose his career? On the other hand, Clemens, how many hitters did he send down to the minor leagues cheating? No. So it wasn't only they cheated, they cheated other batters. That's the way I look at it. That's that's a great point, something I hadn't thought of. How is your one-man mission going to get the foul pole renamed the fair pole? <laughs> it should. Well, I'll say it again. If the ball hits the pole, is it a fair ball or a foul ball? It's fair. It's a home well, run. Then it's, then it's the fair ball, a fair pole. It's the fair pole. How can uh, it be called the foul pole? If the ball hits the pole, and it's a fair ball, change it. It's the fair uh, pole. I, uh, I have the, agreed same with thing with the with the line. How can it be the foul line? If the ball hits the line, it's a fair ball. It's the fair line. I've agreed with you since the first moment that I heard you say that. Uh, I know the NBA season is coming to a close for the area basketball teams, Knicks and uh, and Nets. How does it look for them in terms of the playoff picture? Uh, Should uh, New York area basketball fans be excited? Frank, you're asking the wrong guy. (laughs) I I haven't watched an NBA game. I would say... I don't know how many years, because all I see are dunks and three-pointers. Dunks, three-pointers. There's no moving the ball, hit the open man, uh, passing. No. And that's what I grew up on. I don't want to watch something where it's just turned into three-pointers and dunks. You know, I often wonder uh, how many more points a guy like uh, Oscar Robertson would have had if there were three-pointers or or, or Jerry West famous, uh, you remember that uh, 60-foot shot against the Knicks in the playoffs? That would have won the game instead of sending it in over, overtime, the Lakers lost. No. So you have to t- turn 
take me out of the uh, deal when it comes to the NBA. <laughs> uh, fair enough. My knowledge of uh, the NBA these days is is less than zero. I thought I'd th- throw the basketball fans in our audience a bone. Finally, Warner, I've also always been impressed with your movie reviews, and uh, I always thought you had an interesting take on uh, a, your you, your reviews of movies that you were seeing. Anything that you've seen lately that you think is particularly noteworthy that people should check out? You know, I I have to tell you, Frank, like you say, I was the biggest movie fan in the world. I went to the movies like three three times a week. I remember. I would say in the last two years, I've been to two movies. One, I had to see the uh, James Bond movie, the last one, where I think he gets killed, <laughs> although we'll never know. And the other, I was so curious because it was a sports movie, and it was true. It was the story uh, of Kurt Warner. I think it's American Underdog. That's it. If that wasn't a true story, and it came, people say, oh, come on, get out of here. That couldn't happen. I mean, this guy was out of football. He was uh, in a, working in a grocery store uh, filling boxes. And uh, all of a sudden, he gets a break in the, what was it, the uh, arena football. So he says, I don't even know, arena football, you know, so and so. So he plays. Nobody wants to draft him except one guy. And uh, it's the Rams' turn to draft. And the offensive coordinator says, what are you kidding? Arena football? I don't I don't like him at all. Dick Vermeil, coach of the Rams, says, you know what? I've been out of football for uh, 14 years. There's something about this guy I like. And they all said, you got to be kidding. You're going to waste a draft choice on this guy? No. He said, yes, I'm overruling you all. Well, he wins the MVP, takes him to the Super Bowl. I mean, who would believe this story? Nobody. It's a, I thought, man, wow. So those are the only uh, yeah, two I movies s- I've seen. I see a lot of I- Netflix movies. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's uh, what a lot of people have been doing over the last few years with the pandemic is just watching movies home rather than uh, rather than uh, going to the theater. Yeah. And uh, anything anything on Netflix that particularly that particularly strikes uh, your fancy. Uh, you know what? The problem is I can't remember the names. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I go through the same thing. Believe me, <laughs> Warner. Uh, oh, um, I'll tell it you is, one thing. The worst. Yeah. I had to turn it off. How is this picture ever nominated for Best Picture, Power of the Dogs? Now, he's a great it, it, actor, uh, Cumberbatch, but that that was awful. I, I haven't met not, anybody that, that, that something, you know, something was uh, under the table there. That made no sense. <laughs> no, it's certainly it. not a... It's certainly not a movie to watch if you're feeling the least bit drowsy. That's for sure. No, um, uh, Warner, I, I got. I have to uh, run. I could talk with you all day. I hope we can do this again soon. It's a real treat to talk with you, my friend. I miss you. Uh, all right, Frank. You take care now. You've come a Thank long you. way, Frank. 
All right. Hey, well, Take care. Thank you, Warner. Right. Appreciate it. If you want to All comment right. on any portion of my conversation with Warner Wolf, give me a call. 1-800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. WABC. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Marvin Gaye asking the question, what's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. Baseball. Baseball begins today. You want to comment on any portion of my discussion with Warner Wolf? Give me a call, 800-848-9222. We would ask if you can, if you're on Facebook, please join our Facebook group where you can participate in discussions about the show. Just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. And uh, very important, even if you listen to the show live, please subscribe to the podcast. iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, CastBox, whatever your podcast platform of choice is, please search The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Click the subscribe button and you will automatically get the program downloaded to your mobile phone or to your iPod each and every day. And then if you just want to hear the individual interviews like Warner Wolf or John Brennan, you can just search Frank Morano. And that brings you the Frank Morano interviews and highlights. And you can subscribe to that as well. If you want to help us out, leave a nice review on there and give us a five star ranking on iTunes because that'll help more people discover the podcast and discover the show. 800-848-WABC. Jeff is in Suffolk County. Hello, Jeff. Frank, I wish I wish Werner would have held on because I wanted to give him, a, give him a, an accommodation. And he brought my family together because we were a big hockey family and I got an older brother and a younger brother. And everything stopped because you would hear Let's go to the videotape. Yeah, and uh, people, and that was in an era before ESPN or before highlights were even a, a regular oh, way feature. Before. Way before. Yeah, no. Channel 2 News. Yeah, Let's well, even, even before Channel 2, he was doing that uh, back in D.C. and in Baltimore. He had the best hockey fight you ever seen in your life. <laughs> <laughs> I love the guy. I wish I got to talk to him. That's for sure. Thank you, Jeff. Carol's in New Jersey. Carol only got about a minute here. Hello. Oh, I I absolutely love Warner, and you know his father was one of the three Stooges. Well, not I really, think. not really. Um, oh. And you know, next time I, I come on, I'll have him talk about that. His father was Jack yeah. Wolf. 
And um, he was in some movies. Most of them are considered now lost. But he worked as a member of Ted Healy's Stooge Act. Basically, yes. he wasn't a part of right. the Three Stooges. But if there was a like a local version of the Three Stooges or a stage show somewhere, he would be part of that. And I, you know, he did show me a photo of his father when he was working here, and he did Aww. look like he fit that uh, Three Stooges mold pretty well. Thank you, Carol. Uh, all right, next hour, we got some big stuff planned, and uh, I'll tell you about what it is right after the news. Until next hour, help control the pet population. Make sure you get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. This hour, I'm going to try and do something a little bit different, right? Uh, I'm going to try and do kind of what Dominic Carter does at the beginning of his show. He likes to throw out three different subjects and invite you to comment on them. I'm going to try and do that same thing this hour. Now, um, there is a big problem of teaching children about money. And finances. And I've noticed this for a long time. Anecdotally, I've noticed a whole generation of young people having no idea how to balance a checkbook, having no idea about compounding interest, have no idea of the dangers of uh, predatory lending or a bunch of other things. Now, whose job is it to teach kids about money? Well, most Americans believe it's the job of parents to teach their children about money, yet many of them don't actually talk to their children about finances. This is according to a survey from CNBC. Apparently, some 83% of U.S. adults said that parents are the most responsible for educating their children on the topic, according to the survey. Um, But at the same time, Only 15% of parents said they spoke with their children more than once a week about household finances. 13% said once a week and 16% said once a month. Some 24% talked to their children less often and 31% never do. And according to the statistics here, those who earn less money we're more likely to have those money conversations once a week or more, as were black and Hispanic respondents. So uh, I guess it stands to reason if you're wealthy, you don't necessarily have to worry about money. You don't impart those concerns about money onto your children. Now, I um, would like to, when my child is old enough to understand this stuff, I would like to have conversations with my child about money, but how do you do it? 
What is the age-appropriate way? Is it by starting with an allowance and letting him budget certain things? Is it by teaching him financial lessons? Is it by teaching him about banking? How do you begin teaching your children or child about money? 800-848-WABC. And uh, you're welcome to take that question, if you like, in terms of whose responsibility is it to teach children about money. 800-848-WABC. Maybe you don't think it's the parent's responsibility. Maybe you think it's the school's responsibility. I could buy that. I could think that uh, schools should be doing a better job teaching economics and finances and uh, all sorts of things related to consumerism to younger people as well. I mean, I didn't, I don't think I really got any sort of economics instruction until I was in the sixth grade. And even then it was very, very basic but uh, I think it could start younger. What do you think? 800-848-WABC. The real thing that I think needs to be taught in schools that is not, and if they ever, if if the big ugly fails to pass and they bring back community school boards in New York, or uh, I am going to run for community school board, and a big part of my platform is going to be the, um, is going to be civics instruction. Civics education. Young people don't get any civics education these days, or very little, none to speak of, at least as far as I'm concerned. And um, the other thing is education about local New York history or New Jersey history or whatever state you're from. When I was a child, we learned about the history of New York State. That doesn't go on anymore. And I remember being... um, I'm talking with college graduates. I remember talking with college graduates and one person who's a lawyer now and actually actually one person who's a judge. And this person said, oh, Fiorello LaGuardia, when was he mayor in the 70s? That's a judge now. Um, That's how lacking. And there's a bright guy. Don't get me wrong. He's not stupid. That's how lacking. We are in local education, but let me stay focused on the subject of when to talk to your children about finances, when to talk with your children about money and how to do it. Now, the other thing I wanted to bring to your attention is this new NYPD policy that was very quietly implemented. They didn't make a big thing about this. This was very Hush, hush, mush, mush, as my friend Curtis Lewa likes to say. Very under-the-radar screen. This new NYPD policy banning romantic relationships between bosses and subordinates. The new NYPD motto is courtesy, professionalism. This is not really their motto, but no romance. The department quietly issued orders according to the New York Post, banning relationships between bosses and subordinates weeks after a lap dance scandal rocked the department. The change, which was made to the NYPD patrol guide for officers, specifically puts the kibosh on dating between supervisors and staff whom they regularly supervise. These new regulations dictate that affairs between supervisors and subordinates will result in the transfer of one of the involved parties and that cops should notify the job of such entanglements. Quote, 
Members of the service are strongly encouraged to make a notification requesting a transfer in order to avoid workplace disruption. A high-ranking source said the change went into effect on April 4th, just three days ago, and insisted it had nothing to do with any specific incident. No connection to anything but standard practice in most professional environments and overdue here. Now, my question for you is, what do you think about this? Now, why just the police department? Is this not the case with the fire department? Is this not the case with the Department of Education? Is this not the case with the uh, Department of Sanitation? Is this not the case with corrections? Why are we singling out just the police department here and saying if you're a um, if you're a supervisor, you can't have a relationship with a subordinate? And you know, I realize this is not PC these days, and this is very untoward. But a lot of people meet at work. And in a non-sexual harassment environment, a lot of times supervisors do really fall for the people that work for them and vice versa. Uh, My father married two of his subordinates, not at the same time, but sequentially. So if he was a police officer, one of them would have to ask for a transfer. I don't think that's a good policy. And my fear of what this will do is... It will force relationships underground. People are still going to have these relationships, but they're just not going to be public about it. They're going to go underground with this. I don't think it's a good policy at all. What do you think? 800-848-WABC. And they could say it's not because of that lap dance at that party. It is. I think it is. I think the department felt like they were embarrassed and they had to look like they were doing something in reaction to that. 800-848-9222. The other thing that I found very, very interesting was the very first acquittal, the outright acquittal of a January 6th riot defendant. Did you hear about this? Uh, This is one of the Capitol Hill rioters that rioted the Capitol on uh, January 6th. And the defendant claimed that he thought police allowed him into an entrance near the Capitol Rotunda. And if you look at some of the videos, it does sort of look like that, that some of the police are letting the people in. And this judge here, District Judge Trevor McFadden, following a two-day bench trial, issued an outright acquittal to Matthew Martin. He was acquitted on Wednesday on four misdemeanor charges. Um, Martin claimed that he thought the police had allowed them into an entrance near the Capitol Rotunda. McFadden said that based on video of the scene, that assertion was at least plausible and that prosecutors failed to prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt. This is a nightmare. For the Department of Justice, because if I was any of these January 6th defendants right now, I would be not taking any pleas. I would be going to trial. And if all of them insist on going to trial, that really will grind the gears of justice 
to a grinding halt. So uh, comment on any of those three subjects that you like. Financial education, whose responsibility is it, and how do we do it? How do we do it as parents? How do we do it in school? Uh, Topic B, should the police department be banning relationships, romantic relationships between supervisors and subordinates? I say no. And Or or if we want to have this, I'll give you one or two scenarios. I say no, they shouldn't be banning. But if we do it for police, let's do it for everybody. And then uh, topic C is the first outright acquittal of one of these January 6th rioters. And I'm curious if you think this portends a lot of acquittals to come. 800-848-9222. Let me begin with uh, Kathleen in Massachusetts. Hello, Kathleen. So that interview you had with that uh, Mr. Wolf, that was phenomenal. Thank you. And I thought, I told the, the screener, I said, when I first was listening, because I didn't catch the beginning, I thought he was just a random caller. And then the more you talked to him, I was like, is this like an interview? And then I realized, I realized it was. That was so much fun. And, you know, and of course, he mentioned Carlton Fisk in 75 when he had the, had the home run. And I thought, oh, my God, I was like 12 years old when that happened. Oh, no, that was big. It's a nightmare for a lot of Yankee fans to this day. I know, and I was in the kitchen in Malden, Massachusetts, in the kitchen watching the little black-and-white TV because my parents were watching something else on some other TV. So that was really nice. And I also thought at the time was that, you know, everybody loves Carlton Fisk, but, you know, when he lived here, if you caught him, like, with his family out socially, he was not, he was not, he didn't want to talk to anybody. So Is that true? Different. Really? Yeah, he didn't want, he didn't want to talk to anybody. He'd be pleasant, but he was like, don't talk to me. Very interesting. Very interesting, yeah. Kathleen. Wow. But the other thing, she asked me if I wanted to talk about, uh, what was the second thing? Uh, the financial, the financial issues with. Uh, right. Kids. How do you teach kids about money? How do you do it as a parent? Right. What age do you start doing it? And how do All you right. do it? All right. So my parents, you know, I was born in 63. I'm the oldest. My parents were like, it's all about the budget. And they taught us, especially my mother. She was like, okay, you have to have a budget and know what your what your boundaries are. And that's it. So when I went to school, I, did, I didn't, like, I wasn't interested in that at all. But I could understand why, you know, because my parents already taught me this. But what did I study in college? Economics, which is the higher level of all that. And I studied it in upstate New York at a snotty no school. And I think about it now. When you asked that, I was like, you know what? I can't believe this is still an issue. Well, so what is the solution, though, Kathleen? Uh, I'd hate to have people wait till college before they learn about uh, the importance of compounding. Well, because you know what they used to do when I I went to Catholic school through sixth grade and then I then I went to public school. And I noticed that in public school, if you were in the advanced classes, they did not focus on accounting or anything. There was no accounting. Like if you were in the other other grades. They might have taught you some business accounting, but it was very minimal. So I think the whole structure of the public school education needs to change because it's like, you know, this is like common To me, it's common sense because that's how I was brought up. But 
you need to you need to understand that you know money is very important. It doesn't matter how much you have. You need to know how to manage what you have. Right. Uh, well, that's uh, that's a very astute observation, Kathleen. Thank you. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Chris is in Mount Vernon. Hello, Chris. Hey, Frank. What's going on? Um, yeah, uh, as far as the kids with the finances, that's, uh, it's not like you sit the kid down and you, and you, you teach them a lesson or anything. It's more like an, an everyday, like, little by little. The kids ask questions. And, like, like my daughter, for instance, she, she'll, she'll say, uh, Daddy, let's go to the bank and get some money so we can go to the store and buy a lot of stuff. I'm like, no, that's not how it works. You, gotta, you know, you just explain to them how... I mean, I don't know how else. I don't. I don't think it's like an actual. But yes, I do. I do think the parents. And what age? Ones, what age? Uh, what age do you start? Five. My, my daughter. When the, the kids just start asking questions when they're four, five years old, six years, and you just gotta, you know, later, late, you know, explain to them the best way you can possibly explain to them, you know, how money works, and that you know you have to go and work, and and you know you don't have a lot of money to go. Just you can't just do whatever you want. You have to, you know you know, spread it out according to what you need and what you want and what you want comes later and all that stuff, you know. But, yeah, it's definitely got to be the parents because I don't think they're going to get it in school. I so think you, in school they're just going to be bored out of their minds. Well, so you think it begins with just comprehensive answers to n- questions that will come up naturally? You think that's how to handle it? I do, it? actually. Okay. That, that's exactly what I think, yeah. Right. Fair enough, Chris. And, uh, as far as, and as far as the subordinate uh, thing with the police... I mean, to me, it's almost like a teacher and a student type of thing. Really? Wait, wait, wait. wait. But but Chris, I mean, the difference is a a student, unless we're talking about college, a student is a minor and a teacher is an adult. So I do mean about I like college. I I am talking about like college. Okay. Go ahead. Finish your thought. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, 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 you're right. No, you got it. You understood what I said. So that was, that was what I wanted to get out. And uh, what was the last thing? I forgot what the other uh, thing was. was the I first had. January 6th acquittal, which I think is really oh. interesting and I think could provide a playbook to all these January 6th defendants that are charged. I I, I agree with that. And, you know, the, I, you know, aren't these most of these guys like – in solitary confinement and stuff? I, I don't know that most so, of them are, but many of them are being held in very, very poor conditions. That is true. So so they're probably not even going to hear about this. I, they better have good lawyers that are, that are paying attention to what's going on. Well, I, 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 I suspect uh, that um, a lot of their lawyers are going to be very plugged into this. And uh, this is going to uh, this is going to be a tidal wave uh, with respect to these January 6th cases. Thank you, Chris. 800-848-WABC. We have one, two, three, four, five uh, open lines if you want to comment on any of these three subjects. Richie is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Richie. Uh, hello, Frank. Good morning. Good morning. I have I have to disagree with one of Wolf's choice of Willie Mays as the best all-around player. The best all-around player was Babe Ruth. What was Willie Mays' pitching record? Right, he never pitched. That's true. Uh, all right, so, Richie. Uh, Thank you. That's what's so fun about baseball is that uh, is that reasonable people can disagree. Thank you, Richie. All right, we gotta we gotta get send Richie a cup of uh, a cup of coffee next time he calls in eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. 
Uh, Patrick is trucking in the state of Georgia. Hello, Patrick. Morning, friend. Thanks for taking the call. Sure. Thanks for um, calling. All right, just out of my own, for my own curiosity, are you listening to us on the radio in Georgia, or are you listening on the internet? Um, I, I heart radio app. Okay, fair enough. However you listen, we're happy to have you. Yeah. Um. These these people uh, who were uh, touring the the, the the Capitol building on January sixth, uh, they're really being being treated miserably, and it's really upsetting and the only thing i can really say is the capitol police that are inflicting this torture on these people i can't say what i'd like to say well all right patrick well i definitely i think uh, i think you're communicating telepathically with many in our audience 800-848-9222 john is in freehold hello john hey frank um so i was gonna say i think that um Every, I think that every kid kind of learns it at his own pace. Like the way it is now, when you're when you're a little kid in school, you do math problems. They teach you how to count money, and you know they they give like examples. Like you know, you go to the store, you buy this, this much, you add it up, and then like the other guy said, it's every day. You know, your kids go with you shopping. They go to the bank and everything. They see you do it. And eventually, in high school, when they're like 15, 16, they start working. They're going to learn that, you know, they're going to learn about money on their own. Uh, well, so I, I think that's the danger, though. I think the the assumption that they're going to learn about it on their own leads to a lot of parents not teaching about it. Well, what's the, what do they have to teach? I'm like... When I was uh, 15, I started, I got a job at like a bagel place and I started making money and I got a paycheck. You know, I asked my dad, why why does money come out for taxes and stuff? And he told me about it. See, and, and I really think this degree of financial literacy needs to begin much earlier than 15. I think, um, you know, by the time you're 13, I'd like my son, and that's why I'm trying to get some tips from listeners here. And thanks for the call, John. Um, I, I, I'd like my son to have an understanding of what interest is, of what compound interest is, of um, you know, of the basics of the tax code, um, of you know, the different things that you need later in life, um, especially as it relates to borrowing money. Saving money and investing money. 800-848-WABC. Uh, those of you that are holding, continue to hold. Uh, we're going to get to you in just a minute. And uh, I see Jennifer in Boston. We're going to get to you first, Jennifer, because I know you were holding yesterday and we didn't get to you. So I apologize for that. Uh, everyone that's on hold, we'll get to you. If you want to comment on this rule, which the NYPD. Sh- snuck in. To the NYPD patrol guide. I'd love to hear your take on that. Do you agree with me or, or do you agree with Chris and Mount Vernon? 800-848-9222. Financial education for kids. How do you do it? Not do you do it. How do you do it? And who should do it? And uh, this uh, first outright acquittal in the January 6th uh, case. We'll try and get to as many of your calls as possible straight ahead. WABC. 
Hey, folks, admit it. You miss winter. You miss having excuses for eating like you're hibernating. But you can also admit you regret eating like Yogi Bear. Well, we finally made it past winter. Unfortunately, so did your winter weight. Luckily, you still have time to be fit and healthier by this summer since it only takes 40 days to lose 20 to 40 plus pounds with NJ Diet. NJ Diet's contractually guaranteed program starts with bioenergetically personalized supplements based on your saliva, hair, and blood work. Then, NJ Diet uses DNA testing to create your ideal diet plan and workout regimen to help you keep the weight off the rest of your life. NJ Diet is with you every step of the way. You're fully monitored by their certified staff to make sure you're burning fat and not just losing water. You'll also have access to the doctor's personal email and phone number. NJ Diet is committed to you keeping the weight off. Call today, 855-5NJ Diet, or log on to NJDiet.com. Go to NJDiet.com and lose the weight for good today. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. <laughs> Screams, bones, bats, bones, teenage monsters and haunted homes. The ghost on the stair, the vampires fight. Better beware, there's a full moon tonight. This is the other side of midnight. A song called Spider Baby. I was prompted to play this. My my wife doesn't like spiders, and I've told you this before. When she was a child, she used to call spiders Franks, and so it goes to show. I mean, there's something going on in her psyche that she hates spiders, and she calls them Franks, and then would choose to marry a man that she gave the same name to her least favorite arachnid. To wow, but um. So anyway, I was taking a shower. Um, I take a shower once a week, whether I need to or not. But I was taking a shower the other day, and I come down, and my um, or I might have been napping. I don't know. I think it was a shower. And I come down, and my wife is, is she looks she looks white. I mean, she's a little fair complected to begin with, but she looks white. And I said, "What's the matter?" She says, "I was getting more baby formula from the bar room, and so we keep the." child's baby formula in the bar room this way going there for drinks for him makes him feel like a little adult you know it's not just whiskey and wine that's served in there it's baby formula as well and i saw this big spider and uh he he scooted under the couch that's in the bar room so now i'm not going in there so she's now refusing to go in there until this spider is captured or killed now i do not like um, killing spiders. I love spiders, actually. I love that they uh, eat all the other bugs and everything. But there are certain compromises that you have to make in living in the Murano household. And one of them is we have an agreement that, unfortunately, I, I have agreed to kill these spiders, which I hate doing. But um, they, it's the only way I maintain harmony in, in, uh, and domestic tranquility. 800-848-WABC. I want to cover, I want to, there's a lot of stuff I want to get to, including uh, this fascinating situation in Israel. They're looking like they might be headed towards a fifth election. 
Can you believe that? Fifth election in two years, or maybe it's two and a half years, but still, it's really it's really something out there. Uh, we'll get to it if we can, and a lot of other things that are happening. As promised, Jennifer's in Boston. Hello there, Jennifer. Hey, Frank. Thanks for taking the call. Sure and, thing. And, and Israel, they get their fifth booster while they're get, on their fifth election. And they're, you know, <laughs> That's true. Good God. Because they're really rolling them out over there. And um, also, I'm with you on the spiders. The only thing is I do get afraid because some of them can give you a nasty bite. But I feel the same way. I was trying to take them outside and everything because they're quite amazing and they do do a good job on the other. They so, do indeed. If, uh, if, if anything, um, if Rachel ever throws me out of the house and you end up relocating to New York, who knows? Things We may hit it off. <laughs> um, but in any event, um, if I could briefly just touch on the January 6th uh, Mind you, misdemeanors, four misdemeanors, mm-hmm. Frank. Look at the hundreds, hundreds of people they tracked down. Do you know how much of our money is spent on this? And you look at what happened in 2020 across this country with Black Lives Matter and Antifa trying to burn down federal courthouses. There was an officer named Shea Michelonis, 29 years old, paralyzed from the neck down after being shot at a Black Lives Matter rally. After he, his last words to his mother on the phone before he started his shift, well, Mom, i got to go. I've got to go protect the people. Mm. Can't breathe. He, he couldn't even breathe on his own, Frank. Um, it, it's just horrific what happened. You saw cops getting bashed over the heads with boards and bricks. I mean, you know, we all saw it. The billions and billions of dollars in damage. Um, and at least uh, there was over two, two dozen dead. So people are saying between 26 and 40. So I don't know what the real number is. But um, so you look at that, several up in that chop zone alone, right? So um, what happened with that? And where where is the law enforcement on that? Where are the prosecutions? Um, I I haven't heard of any. We had some people in the Boston area, and every one of them with the cases were dropped. So to me, I, I find it staggering, the difference. And when you, you look at the amount of money that has been put into this, the man hours, and you have people at the FBI, Frank, that when we had the Boston bombers, they were tipped off of the marathon bombers, and that was that was uh, not taken care of. Garrett Sampson, you mentioned him one night, the serial killer up, out here. Um, there was a tip on him. They didn't do anything with that. But the FBI is – and also the kid did the uh, – oh, I can't think of the name of the school in Florida, Parkland. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they got a tip on him, did zero with that. But look at all the time and energy. And money. And money. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. If people don't think this is a political persecution, um, you have to be in what you have to open your eyes and really use your critical thinking skills because, I mean, this is really bad. And I mentioned that book January 6th. If you get a minute to to check into that, and I don't know if I get a chance to tell you this, but the woman is an excellent speaker. It's not just the book. It's the way she can be concise and she's very passionate about it and she she was shocked at what she found so i i think people would really be enlightened frank and she's a really good conversationist I yeah it's uh, uh, julie julie kelly right uh, it was i might be flynn i thought it was julie yeah flynn. i think it's julie kelly I, i'm working on that i'm, I'm working on that I thought first I told you Kelly, and then I said I think it might. Be no, I, 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 it's, it's Julie Kelly. I'm, wor- I'm working on that. I've looked into I, her a bit. Really good. Like I said, she's, she would, you know what I mean. She's, she's not a lame guest. Yeah, she's no, good, totally. I, I get it. I, I researched her thoroughly after, uh, after your call the other day. Uh, Jennifer, last, thank you. Least, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I just wanted to ask you quick, um, and I apologize. Um, how did uh, Salome go? Do you know? How did which go? 
Isn't it Sal Greco? Oh, Sal Greco. Well, I'm actually, I might go on with um, John Katsimatidis tonight in the 5 o'clock hour talking about that. He was just asking me the same thing, and uh, I started to tell him, and uh, he said that, um, you know, why don't you come on tonight? Well, the, the Reader's Digest version, and I know Newsmax did an article, and so did the uh, the, the New York Daily News, but... He testified on on Monday, and mm-hmm. um, apparently now the judge has about thirty days to make uh, his decision, and then the commissioner has ninety days to dole out whatever kind of punishment she deems appropriate. So we'll hear something within the next thirty to ninety days, I would imagine. All right. Well, blessings to him because I think he's getting a well. I won't. Oh, that—that's that, for sure, Jennifer. Thank you. Okay. Thanks for calling. I want to try and squeeze in some other people here. Brad is calling from Alabama. Hello, Brad. Hi, Frank. I just wanted to uh, quickly talk about uh, financial education with your children. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have four children. The ages are from four to eleven. Okay, good. And so you're we- exactly who I want to hear from. Give me some tips. When we started, uh, we started with the preschool age. When they start learning how to count with money, we start teaching them by giving them chores around the house and not giving them allowance. They work on commission. So that way they get to learn what money is, what it's used for, and, and uh, you know, to save, to spend, and to give. And from there, we move up with their age levels. And the chores that say a preschooler could do would be simple things like hanging up their backpack coming in from school now, uh, and all the way up to the 11 year old uh, you know maybe it's more putting their clothes away uh, helping with cleaning wh- whatever is age appropriate for for the individual now and, how does he work how do the kids work on commission would, would they get a percentage of lemonade sales or something no, sir. Each individual chore would be assigned a dollar amount. I see. Okay. Got it. Got it. So it's more, so, it's not necessarily commission. It's more of a per diem basis. Correct. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and that's uh, as far as the teaching them about compound interest and all of those things. We haven't made it exactly to there yet. They all have savings accounts, and so they're they're learning a little, but 11-year-old he hasn't made it to that education level yet, so I, I can't tell you. I can't guide you for your 14-year-old. Well, fair fair enough. Well, I only have a four-month-old at the moment. See, the problem with savings accounts these days, a savings account used to be a great vehicle for doing what? Saving money. But now, I mean, it's almost a, it's almost a waste to lock up your money in a savings account the average, do you know what the national average rate for a savings account is right now? Matt Blaze, any idea? Take a guess, wild guess. A national average interest rate. Like half a percent or something like that? Uh, half a percent. Molly, you have a, do you have a, a guess? No guess. Molly's not venturing out. All right. Um, you, do you think Matt Blaze is high or low with half a percent? He's way too high. The national average interest rate for a savings account is not 0.5%, which he thinks it is. It's 0.06%. It's less than one-tenth of 1%. 
a savings account, I mean, I mean, maybe this will change as the Fed indicates that they're going to raise interest rates. A savings account is almost the worst place that you can put your money now because it doesn't earn anything. And it, it's actually losing value because inflation is going up so much. You're almost better off taking a, a uh, taking a stock, a list of stocks, and then taking a dart and throwing it at the stock list. And then uh, it, putting that money wherever the dart lands, because that'll almost certainly give you a greater return than 0.06%, or you can buy treasury bonds, right? Which is not going to give you much, but it gives you that safety, maybe a little more than 0.06%. Paul's in Babylon. Hello, Paul. Hey, good morning, Frank. How are you? Morning. I'm doing just fine. Thank you. Okay, I just thought, you know, I missed the beginning of the, the NYPD thing. Mm-hmm. Something about relationships in a command. What happens? Are you going to get transferred? Is that what happens? Yeah, so they've, they're now prohibiting it. Now, if you're a supervisor, you cannot have a relationship with your subordinate. Um, you have to notify the department, and they will transfer one of the people oh. involved in that relationship. Okay, I'm retired off the job. That's why I my experience seeing this has been going on for a long time. They try to make it discreet. Uh, it usually is a supervisor, a male supervisor with a female subordinate. Uh, it usually ends in a disaster. So, and they try, again, they try to make it discreet. Everybody knows about it. And what happens is uh, the female tends to get her way. She tends to get out of details that they don't want to go to, maybe screws over another cop. Even if she's the supervisor. Well, I, I well, it could be a supervisor female, but I usually the ones I've seen were usually a male supervisor. And what happens is people get they're like you know cops could be vicious too. They'll, they'll make phone calls a lot of times. I know they're married. There's an affair going on. One or both might be married. So it sounds like yeah, you think this is a sound policy. It's it's been going on for a long time. I, you know, right. I, but th- I, I, this I, is st- this I mean, just it, it, took it, it, effect three days ago. The new the new policy in the patrol guide. Right, but if you have, if something happened, somebody made a phone call about it, they would transfer it anyway. The supervisor or both would get transferred. Right. That's what but happened. Again, there was no prohibition about it prior to January, prior to April fourth. Uh, no, not really. But it went on. Right. No, I understand. But there was nothing technically wrong with it going on. So my my question for you, Paul, as a retired officer yourself, is do you think this is a sound policy? Should this be a policy? I don't think so. Right. Because it's it's like what I said. This is just going to force these relationships to go underground. Right. Well, yeah, they're going to try to. But uh, it's what's going to happen is that it's somebody is going to get special treatment. And it's going to just come to a head, and sometimes it's not worth it. Maybe you're better off going somewhere else. But again, a lot of it is married people. Oh so no, I, do I don't doubt it. Away? I don't doubt it. Uh, I don't doubt it, Paul. I mean, the the police officer in this lap dance issue uh, was was married okay. as well. Eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. Craig is in Connecticut. Hello, Craig. Hey, what's going on, Frank? You tell me, man. You tell me. I am so pissed at Warner Wolf for saying that James Bond gets killed at that movie. He should be hung. Well, he stop that. First of all, don't be ridiculous. Warner Wolf's a national treasure. He should not be hung. Second, he said he thinks he gets killed. Now, I, well, I that's a spoiler. No, it's not. He says he thinks he gets killed. 
Well, obviously, if he thinks, he's an intelligent guy. Uh, Craig, I got I got a newsflash for you. They've made about 30 James Bond films uh, so far since uh, since 50 years ago. They're not stopping anytime soon. They're going to actually since 60 years ago. They're going to make another you know 30. What my phone listing is it's Craig Bond two four five triple oh seven. I'm the biggest fan on the planet. All right. Well, thank you. But I, I still, got a pa- still don't on, think Warner should be. I got a paper route and I peeled potatoes as a kid. Well, that's great. Well, that's how I learned about money. I was 11 years old. I was peeling potatoes for like five bucks an hour. And then when I was 12, I got a paper route, and it was the Harvard Current. And there was the paper was so cheap they had to send me money. They just wanted the circulation. Uh, well, so, But then how did you learn about things like compounding interest and mortgages and so forth? Not until I am my student loan. Right. See, that's, that's compounded like a mother. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to avoid, Craig. I'm trying to um, develop a sort of an educational criteria for young people, an age-appropriate way to teach. Like, um, I think that gentleman from Alabama was off to a good start. Four, five, six, seven years old, economics lessons. So that, that by the time they turn 18 and they're able to get a credit card... They're not underwater thinking that if they have a $1,000 limit on their credit card, that that's $1,000 worth of free money. Al is in Manhattan. Hello, Al. Hey, Frank. How are you? I'm hanging in there. Thanks, man. So, Frank, here's the thing. Uh, When my kids have twin boys, Nick and Alex, and when they were young, they would sit at the dinner table. I also have two uh, daughters, Peter and Pima. So, anyway... When they were kids, they'd sit at the dinner table, and they'd listen to me talk to my wife. And uh, they'd pick up, and they'd listen. They could tell you what gross profit was and net profit when they were four years old. Now, that's what – so what was your secret? Give me the Al from Manhattan keys. Just talking business. You know, we're in the bread business, the bakery business. That's why I call it nighttime. I'm out delivering right now. And uh, I, I always taught the kids, you can't be afraid to work. You have to be willing to do what the other guy is not willing to do in order to get ahead. Well, what I've, what I've seen time and again now is a lot of people, a lot of young people especially, teenagers and even people in their early 20s, a lot of times they have a great work ethic. They have a great – they're willing to work. They're willing to work hard. But once they earn their paychecks, they have no idea what to do with it. Right. That's the thing. I always tell the kids, you want to make money, what are you going to do with it? Right. They ask me, well, what did you do with it? And I, and I tell them, you know what, save your money, because the hardest thing to do when you're getting involved with mortgages and borrowing money, uh, buying property, is the downstroke. You need to make that down payment. Now, I always put 25% down when I bought something. So I tell them, I teach them, save the money, you'll see it grow, put it away, and then when you get enough money, you go get a fixer-upper or something like that. They're only 26 years old. But they already have bagel stores in Florida. That's great. That's great. Well, you know, it's interesting. You know why their business, the bagel business, and your business, the bread business, are both good for learning about money? Cash business. No. Well, sort of. It's because they both require a lot of dough. 
800-848-9222. Paul's in Neptune. Uh, Paul, are you on the planet Neptune or are you in Neptune, Queens? Neptune, New Jersey. Neptune, New Jersey. Even better. Hey, Frank, the, uh, I wanted to tell you a story. When I was in elementary school, we had a teacher... And he said, do you want to learn about the stock market? So the class said yes. So he said, okay, everybody bring a quarter in. So everybody brought a quarter in. I don't know, maybe it was $20 or something at the time. I don't remember. And then he bought, we bought stock in the stock market. So then every week on Friday, he would have the newspaper, and he would read us whether the stock went up or down or up or down or up or down. And we would vote on whether we wanted to sell or not. So we voted no, 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 no. Finally, we voted yes, and we all made, I don't know, dollar fifty. You know, in those days, you could buy an ice cream for $0.10. Cents. So, I mean, and the funny thing about it was he didn't think the stock was going to go up more, so he sold it before we voted to sell it, <laughs> and he had to pay us out of his own pocket. That is funny. You know, that sounds like a great teacher, though, and that yeah. sounds like exactly the kind of economics lesson uh, that's really not being taught in schools today. Right. That's what I'm saying. And um, my mother, when I was a kid, she always had a, a booklet with all these envelopes in it. And she, when my father would come home with his paycheck, she would put so much in each envelope, you know, for the electric, for the gas, for, the, you know. So that, I remember that when I was a kid growing up. And then my father, he told me, you got to buy stock in the stock market and never sell. So here it is 40, 42 years later, and I've done exactly that and uh, turned into a fortune for me. Not a fortune, but I mean, a, you know, a nice retirement. And uh, I'm 66 now, and I, I bought my first stock when I was 24. It was my life savings at the time that me and my wife had saved up. And I bought stock, and the stock would go up, and it would go down and up and down. But slowly went up in dividend reinvestment and all that stuff. And I had people over the years tell me, oh, you should sell, you should sell, you should sell. And I still didn't sell, you know. And uh, that's all I got to say, really. But the story in elementary school, that was something. Yeah, that's that, see, that's the kind of thing I'd love to see more of in schools today. Got an email here from Michelle who asks, if you had $50,000, what would you invest it in? You know, Michelle, it all it all depends on one how old you are and what you want that money for. Do you want that money uh, to grow so that in a year you can uh, go on a nice vacation somewhere? Uh, do you want uh, you know, to hold on to that money for ten years? Or are we talking six months? Or what are we talking? So I think it depends on the circumstance. I'll be honest. If you're talking short term investment inside of a year. And I'm not saying it because Legacy Precious Metals is an advertiser. I would invest in gold, silver, and precious metals, $50,000. If we're talking a little bit more than that, I would go, and again, it depends on your financial situation, how badly you need this money. I would put it in um, tax-free municipal bonds because to get even 5% tax-free is is great. It's just it's, it's, it's great. Anything tax-free is great. That's where I would probably uh, probably put it. Um, but if we're talking, you know, I don't know, three, four, five years, I would go with dividend-paying blue-chip stocks. And Geraldo, uh, when we went to Rayo's most recently, Geraldo was telling me that um, if you don't know what you're doing when it comes to investing, 
Just put it in index funds. Just put it in random, you know, index funds that track the market. And usually, in the long term, anyway, you'll be okay. All right, 800-848-WABC. We'll continue with your calls in just a bit. Uh, Still to come, we got the AC Report with John Brennan. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, we'll continue with your calls in just a bit. You want to find me on Instagram, you can do so at Morano Vision. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Vision. I don't post often on there, but when I do, it's a photo worth, worth seeing, I, I have to say, or a video worth watching, I must say. All right, I want to thank uh, my colleague, Rita Cosby, because uh, a caller called into her program a few hours ago and was somewhat critical of some of the things that we're doing on this show. This was um, about, uh, I don't know, about four or five hours ago on Rita Cosby's program. I'm appalled that some so-called conservatives on our side and some of them on the overnight show there, and I, and I love Frank, but <laughs> he's uh, giving air to some of these crazy, wild communist propaganda ideas. Well, Fra- uh, Frank, by the way, and I, I'm going to defend Frank because I adore Frank. Frank always likes to have everybody on all sides and, and I'll have all sides, too. But you guys know where I stand, you know, and, and I, you know, I appreciate Frank always feels like he wants to have everybody. And, and that's what the beauty of radio is having a town hall every night with all of you. So so I think, you know, Frank always has uh, great shows. And I think much of his intention is to make sure that everybody gets a say, which I think is wonderful. Well, outrageous. No, (laughs) she did not say that. First of all, I want to thank Rita Cosby. That was very nice. And uh, and I agree with her that it it is a great show. But um, yeah, and I appreciate the respectful way that the caller brought up uh, the criticism of some of the Ukraine guests that we have on Uh, when he says when I hear so-called conservatives, though, I've never claimed to be a so-called conservative. I've never claimed to be a so-called anything, okay? I, I The only label politically that I really wear proudly is independent. Second, um, you get, with the exception of maybe Bernard McGurk, you get 20, and maybe John Katsimatidis a bit, but you get 19 hours a day, at least, every single day, all essentially telling the same story. On Fox News, with the exception of the Tucker Carlson show and the replay of the Tucker Carlson show, you get 22 hours a day all telling the same story. On CNN, you get 24 hours a day of the same story. On MSNBC, you get 24 hours a day of the same story. You get get, um, essentially the same narrative reinforced of Vladimir Putin is Hitler. Ukrainians are this innocent democracy that's being picked on by a madman, when in actuality, I think the truth is much more complicated than that. Now, to Rita's point, she's right. We do have all sides on. We had Rita on. 
and we talked about Ukraine. We've had uh, General Wesley Clark on, and we talked about Ukraine. We had Harlan Ullman on, and we talked about Ukraine. We do have multiple points of view on the show. I won't dispute the fact that we have um, more people that raise a red flag about things like NATO expansion than you hear about on other on other uh, other shows. But um, you know what? I think that's what makes this show so special is that you're going to hear people you don't hear anywhere else. And, you know, for instance, did you see on any of the cable news networks the video that shows Ukrainian forces shooting a shooting dead a wounded Russian soldier? The New York Post, to their credit, has done an article on this, and then I linked to it on my Facebook page on facebook.com slash MoranoFan. This footage has been verified by the New York Times, and it shows two bodies, apparently Russian soldiers, lying on the road in a pool of bright red blood. The closest soldier, whose jacket is pulled up above his head, can be seen twitching and is heard struggling to breathe. He's still alive, a man's voice said. Film these marauders. Look, he's still alive. He's gasping. A man to the right of the camera raises his rifle and fires two shots into the gasping man's torso, killing him. Why do you not see that anywhere else? Because if we're going to claim that there are atrocities and war crimes being committed on the Russian side, and I think there probably are, let's not be naive and think that the Ukrainians and the neo-Nazis fighting alongside the Ukrainians are these innocent babes in the woods. Now who's being naive, Kay? Uh, Because the truth is much more complicated than that. It really is. Um, I do have to say on a much more, but thank you, Rita, for for sticking up for me and sticking up for our show. On a much more mundane note, there, my wife wants to have uh, our a bunch of rooms in our house painted. I thought we did this when we moved in. I, I don't know. I thought we did all this stuff when we moved in, only to learn seemingly on a daily basis that there's one thing wrong after another in our house that needs immediate attention and, and it requires a lot of money. So she had this handyman slash painter come to our house last week and give her an estimate for painting the walls and the ceilings. How much is it? Uh, he tells her it's going to be $5,000. No, we don't have we don't have $5,000. So she says, well, OK, maybe we can hold off on painting the ceilings. How much is it just to paint everything else? Well, it's still $5,000. <laughs> All right, well, what if we don't paint Frank's office? What if we just put paint on the other rooms? Well, it's still $5,000. And she's telling me this. I said, Rachel, I mean, it's clear that he's going to charge you $5,000 no matter what. It's clear that he just wants $5,000. So she has another, um, she had another painter come to the house yesterday. And uh, this guy, I, she liked a lot. And it was a much more, uh, I think, honest guy. He's only charging, I think, $2,100 which is a much more reasonable fee for the kind of work that she's talking about. So uh, I would say if you get a crazy estimate from a from a painter, then get a second opinion. It's like a lot like when you get a 
a, a diagnosis for a dev, a uh, life-threatening illness. You always want a second opinion. Big believer in that. 800-848-WABC. John is in Garden City. Hello, John. Hey, Frank. Uh, when I was like 17, 18 years old, I met this guy. And to make a long story short, short, long story short uh, he, was, uh, he was telling me he was retiring. He was 45 years old. And I didn't know, you know, 45 years old retiring. Because, yeah, I've, uh, I've been investing since I was 18 years old. I've amassed like $5 million. I go, what? Yeah, man, you know, I've been investing since I was a kid. I learned from my uncle and on and on and on. And I, you know, developed this, this, this investment portfolio. And now I'm retiring at 45. And you know what he did for a living, Frank? He drove an oil truck, you know. So the message I'm trying to say is that people think you got to have a lot of money to invest. You don't need a lot of money. Mm. If you got time, when you go, you start young and you invest diligently for a long period of time, the compound effect starts. Uh, but John, yeah. that is yeah, the most point. important thing that uh, anybody's going to hear on this show. That's right. the thing that I don't think uh, is taught to young people, the importance no. of compounding. That even if you save a little bit of money uh, with that compounding you can be wealthy by the time you're ready to retire. Great point, John. Thank you for mentioning that. Hey, uh, coming up next, a city, a city in New Jersey is doing something that I'm not sure is in the best taste. Keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morning, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Let me begin by saying a couple of things as sort of a disclaimer. One is I don't, uh, you know, I generally try to stay out of the business of cities that I don't live in. If the city of um, Oakland wants to do something crazy, all right, great. Let that be the people of Oakland's problem. I try to worry about the municipality, the state, the country that I live in. That understood. Now, second, I am not by any means anti-Muslim, anti-Arab, anti-Palestinian. I'm not anti-anybody. Um especially not based on their religion, their ethnicity, or their, uh, their country or region of origin. Not by a country mile. Additionally, I totally get that ethnic populations in certain communities all over America really want some sort of nod to their ethnic identity. I mean, look, there's a reason in Brooklyn there's a Cristoforo Colombo Boulevard, okay? It's not to appease the Chinese that are living there. So keep that all in mind. I, that all being said, I have a major problem with the manner in which something in Patterson, New Jersey, has been handled. In Patterson, New Jersey, and just so people understand, they have one of the largest 
Palestinian-American communities in the entire country, in Patterson, New Jersey. They are renaming a five-block stretch of Main Street to Palestine Way. The Patterson City Council voted unanimously, not one dissenting vote, unanimously, to rename a five-block stretch of Main Street to Palestine Way. You see, South Patterson has been home to a large and thriving Palestinian community for decades. And council members said the street renaming would honor their contributions to the city in areas including civic life, business, and health care. Um, Here's a quote from the first Palestinian-American council member who sponsored the legislation, Allah Abdelaziz. The countless investments that Palestinians have given the city, you see it all around. You see the nice buildings going up in this area. It's because Palestinians, Palestinian Americans have faith in this city. Okay, I'll go along with, with that. Abdelaziz's parents are from a Palestinian town located in the Ramallah province, where many local residents and business owners in Patterson have roots, and that's why South Patterson has earned the nickname Little Ramallah. Abdelaziz's father left 45 years ago, first to Puerto Rico, then to New Jersey. For many businesses, Palestinian roots are right in the name. There's Ramallah Meat Market, there's Jerusalem Pharmacy, there's Palestine Hair Salon, and there's flags and there's artwork with the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem found in many stores. So what's the problem? I have two major problems with this, okay? And I'm I'm trying not to view this through this through anything resembling a jingoistic view or anything like that. Here's my two problems. I hate when I see people riding around cars in my neighborhood or in New York and they have the Puerto Rican flag or the Mexican flag or the Irish flag or the Italian flag. And my look, my grandparents were from Italy and no American flag. And all I think when I see these cars or these uh, decorations, I, all I could think is, look, you're here. You're not in Italy. I know Puerto Rico is part of the United States, but you're not in Italy. You're not in Ireland. You're in the United States. Where's your American flag? Fly that American flag uh, before any of these other flags. And that's right. You remember those caravans that were coming through Central America to the border about three years ago, four years ago? I thought, you know, if these are people that really wanted to be part of America and be part of American life, why are they waving flags from the country that they're fleeing if they're refugees seeking asylum in this country because the place that they're fleeing is so horrible why are they waving the flag of that country and yet you saw image after image where that was exactly the case if you watch the patterson municipal city council vote on march 29th every single one of these council members and a whole gallery full of activists 
is waving this Palestinian flag. Now, there is the flag of New Jersey and the flag of the United States up in the city council chambers, which I think is good. But to me, when any community does this and starts waving the flag of another country or region, instead of waving the flag of their own country, their own state, their own municipality, to me, that really flies in the face of American tradition. To me, the whole rich history of American immigration was about assimilation, that you come here from wherever you want to come from, and then once you get here, you're American. You embrace American values. You try to bring your own culture into the melting pot that is America. It's You don't take Italy or Mexico with you. You know, my grandfather spoke very little English. Neither of his two children speak Italian because my grandfather would not speak Italian around the house unless he didn't want his children to understand what he was saying because he wanted his children to be American. And I really think that when you see these Palestinian flags flown by politicians that are in America, not the West Bank or Gaza. I really think it's just, I don't know, it rubs me the wrong way. That being said, in addition to that, if they have to rename a community for a foreign region, which is not something that I would do, I'm not looking to rename a neighborhood or a street in my community, which is heavily Italian-American, I'm not looking to name it Naples Way or Naples Street. But, okay, if you have to do it, did you have to do it on March 30th or March 29th? This vote in Patterson took place just hours after a Palestinian terrorist carried out the third terror attack in Israel in barely a week. So, I mean, it almost was like, I don't know, it just struck me as the wrong way. Why, after a Palestinian terrorist um, commits another terrorist attack, would you choose that timing to do this. Why not wait until the unrest is over? So at the meeting, all of the council members not only displayed the Palestinian flag and threw their full-throated support to Palestinians in Israel. I love it when city councils start debating foreign policy, right? To me, if you're on the New York City Council, well, the New York's a little different because we have the UN here, but if you're on the New York City Council, if you're on the Patterson City Council... If you're on, um, you know, whatever, the Newark City Council, who cares what your opinion is of any foreign policy issue? How about you worry about getting the streets paved, arresting bad guys, getting children educated, getting fires put out, getting potholes filled? I mean, to me, that's what city council should worry about, not full-throated support to your perception of oppressed minorities elsewhere, or in some cases, oppressed majorities. So... At this meeting, they were not only displaying the Palestinian flag, 
they were donning kafias. And this was right after four Palestinian terrorists just killed 11 innocent people. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm seeing it too myopically. If you disagree, please explain it to me. Uh, I'm not looking to have a whole big debate about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict because heaven knows for uh, about 75 years, people have been having that debate and seems to be a lot of discussion, not necessarily a lot of solutions. So I'm not going to try to solve that problem in the few minutes that we're going to discuss this on the radio. But let me know what you think of this. The city of Patterson not only renaming Main Street Palestine Way, but doing it in this manner while wearing kafias, while waving the Palestinian flag and while right after 11 innocent Israelis are killed by a Palestinian, by Palestinians. And again, I'm not saying that every Palestinian is a terrorist. That's certainly not the case at all. It just, I don't know, it's a bad look in my view. Tell me if you disagree. Four open lines. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Wilfred is in Newark. Hello, Wilfred. Hello. Yeah, I totally agree with you about that. But but I believe that's all part of the mainstream news media to keep Americans separate. That's why they like to call you African-American, Italian-American. But, uh, you know, you're an American. Right. And I'm even they had those parades, like the uh, was a Puerto Rican parade, the Irish parade. You know, they're supposed to be, like you say, they're supposed to be, okay, Irish, but you're supposed to celebrate you an American. Right. Well, look, Wilford, I have no problem with people remembering their culture, remembering their heritage, celebrating the achievements of their ancestors who faced adversity, coming to this country and struggled and were discriminated against when you got here. I think that's all fine. I think once you start renaming streets for foreign countries uh, or for foreign regions and doing it while waving their flag and wearing kafias, to me, and especially right after a terrorist attack, to me, it just doesn't look great, in my opinion. Thank you. 800-848-9222. You're welcome to disagree. 1-800-848-WABC. We'll have the AC report. Coming up at about uh, 15 minutes. Ralph is in New Jersey. Hello, hello, Ralph. Well, since you mentioned about the issue of the flag, I just want to shout out the uh, city of, uh, I, I think they call themselves City of Asbury Park, for flying proudly alongside the American flag, the Ukrainian flag, okay? And in that regard, why don't you look into Chinatown where either the flag of Taiwan or China is being flown by these people? What's up with that? Eh? Well, that's fair, Alf. Thank you. Uh, that is fair. 800-848-9222. Jim is in Afton. Hello, Jim. Hi, Fred. Fred, Hi. I've been trucking a long time, and I get along with every type of group. You know, right. I have friends. The Palestinians were just one group that, you know, what we should deliver to their stores in the city. They're always at war with you, trying to beat you on the count, give you bad checks. During the first bombing of the Trade Center, when they tried to they bombed the basement, I, I was in the city, 
and they were, all these stores were happy. Like their group did a good thing. You know what I mean? Like, like they were like, oh, you know, like they were all happy. And, and the other Arab groups know what, you know what the Palestinians are like. They won't take them in. They use them to torture Israel, like the, like the Arab pit bulls to torture Israel. That's just one group I could never have a good experience with. I mean, I, I have friends that are, you know, Egyptian, black Muslims, every type of group. But when we delivered to Palestinian stores, you went to war. You had to make sure they had, the, if it was, you know, COD or, or cash only, you had to make sure they gave you the cash up front because they would try and beat you at the end. They, we would deliver to their stores. They would have guys in the basement taking out, uh, like they would bring all the baby food into the basement, take out all the good baby food and put expired baby food and says, oh, mm. we ordered too much and try and send it back. They would have guys in the basement taking labels off expensive cases like cases of, uh, like, say, coffee or tuna and putting them on cases of water and saying, oh, they made a mistake. And they try and send the cases of water back but get credit for the tuna. It was just this group that was always at war, always like this guerrilla warfare group. And he said, I just always had that experience with them, you know. I, it was just, and it's, again, it's nothing ethnic. I have friends of every group. But that group, even the company that we, we were contracted to, they said, you have to get the money up front or they would try and beat you. And I learned that, you know, one of my, when I first started dealing with those, the stores. It's just that they just, and certain groups here are to assimilate. Certain groups are just here to take. Well, you know what uh, I mean, this, uh, is just, uh, this is just something to take. You know, they're here to take, not assimilate. Well, thank you, Jim. I, I don't want to turn this into a Palestinian bash fest because I would, I would say this of any ethnic group would, that was similarly situated. Um, if this was, I mean, there's a lot of Korean people in Fort Lee. If uh, they chose to do that, if they chose to rename a big street in Fourth in Fort Lee, North Korea Way, after Kim Jong Un, you know, dropped a nuclear bomb on a bunch of people, God forbid, I would say the same thing. Um, also, you mentioned September 11th. Keep in mind the hijackers on September 11th. The overwhelming majority of them were in Palestinian. They were Saudi, who are supposedly our, our good buddies that we're, we can't sell enough weapons to and we can't buy enough oil from and who we're uh, now just begging, begging the uh, Saudis to pump more. Nate is in Rockland County. Hello, Nate. Yeah, how are you doing? Great show again. Thanks. Um, I understand you. I understand you. That you're saying the timing is off, and how how interesting it is that you know all these are getting involved in foreign policy. You know, it's just a city council, but it's it's really it's not about foreign policy at all. They're just trying to get votes. Patterson is full of Arabs. You know, they're everyone there is Muslim and they're masked, and they're trying to get votes. So, you know, I understand. No, well, yeah. I mean, that's what it is. That's one of the other things that bothers me is that this is really if you're a Palestinian in the Middle East that is having a hard time right now. You're not going to be helped by the Pal- by the Patterson City Council passing a resolution in support of you. It's just grandstanding politicians. So thank you, Nate. Neil's on Staten Island. Hello, Nate. Hello, Neil. Hey, Frank. Uh, a few things. You know, we've done it. We've done it here. Well, with the Black Lives Matter, uh, riding it on the road in front of Trump Tower, in front of the Staten Island Courthouse. Uh, I mean, we we do the same nonsense. I couldn't kill less, to be honest with you, if the, whatever they name in Patterson, New Jersey. If they, they want to name it, let them name it. But, you know, it's interesting because I had some, uh, my, my daughter-in-law had her relatives come from Israel. And I said to them, 
you know, I don't hear anything about Hamas or Hezbollah anymore in the news. And they said, are you kidding? Since every day they're being attacked in Israel, every day they have these problems. So it's, it's more prevalent, you know, than we think. We just don't hear about it. And, and the last thing I'll say is on my car, uh, I have a, an American Legion vanity plate, but on the rear window, I have an American flag decal. And on the other side, I have the artillery uh, uh, symbol, the, the cross cannons. The American flag decal has been ripped off about seven times already. Really? Yeah, nobody touches the cannons, nobody artillery. Maybe they don't know what it is. I don't know. That, that they leave. But they keep pulling the damn uh, American flag off. It's, it's ridiculous. Oh, I, I am sorry to hear that, Neil. Neil, thank you. Mark's in Manalapan. Hello, Mark. Hey, Frank. How are you? Great show, as always. Thank you. I want to, I want to refer to what the gentleman just said about his, his decals being ripped off. And I need to tie it into the way you're, you're, you're uh, presenting this. You said earlier, Frank, that it's not a good look, that it's not a good look. Perhaps, and I love you, Frank, but perhaps it's that very attitude as Americans as to why this nightmare is happening all around us. And with respect to what the gentleman said before with Black Lives Matter, what's the difference with what is happening in the Middle East with Palestinians. Like the gentleman said uh, after 9-11, they they're always want to fight you when there's always a struggle. What's the difference between what's happening here in our streets and what's happening in the Middle East? And if there's no hatred, then what is there to exist for? If you can't hate the town that hosts you, then what do you exist for? Well, I'm not sure I get what you mean. Analogy to make. I'm not sure I get what you mean. If you can't hate the town that hosts you, what what is what does that mean? I don't understand. Would you and I ever think, would our grandparents ever in a million years to have thought to come here to not embrace the American idea? No, of course. Well, I can't speak for your grandparents, right. but no. Right. Right. So that's why you're 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 bringing this this uh, this idea to us the way that you are, because too many of us now have this attitude. It's not a good look. Maybe it's me, but it's not a good well, look. So, Mark, I still am not clear on what your yeah. issue is with the way that I said that. What What is the problem? No, it's not a personal thing. It's a, in other words, you're bringing it up because of what – that's my opinion. You're bringing it up in this way because of what's slowly happening around us. How can these people possibly keep – why are they bringing where they came from to here? Why would they need to maintain such divisions and obviously such hatreds towards other people? I think because we're changing here in America, because we're now being forced to accept that the American ideal perhaps is no more, no longer what you and I grew up to think it would be. And to see these groups here, groups that you and I would never, ever would have thought that we would see. Why? Because of the way we were brought up. They're making a town little Ramallah. Well, no, they're Palestine. not making it. That's, al- that's already the nickname. They're naming Main Street Palestine Way. That's right. How do you do that? How do you do that? 
Yeah, I, I, I get you with that. Uh, this is what I'm saying, Mark. Look, there are other places that are named um, for other countries, but I don't think they were named right after somebody from those countries committed a terrorist attack killing 11 people. Thank you for the call, Mark. Uh, I want to squeeze in two other calls while people have been patiently holding before we get to John Brennan. Mario is in Jersey City. Hello, Mario. Frank, you're the best. It's it's not about the Palestinians. It's about the savings. Comment as you see fit, my friend. All right. Uh, started. At, you're right. Twelve, thirteen years old, and they would let the kids go to the supermarket, bag the groceries for the the ladies, and then push the cart, and they would give me fifty cents, seventy five cents, and then it was the paper route. I don't think the kids do that anymore. I had a paper route around my neighborhood. And I would bring the money home. I collected the money Saturdays or Sundays that I put on top of the table. My mom, she opened up an account when I was 12, 13 years old, her name and my name. And I would put the money on the kitchen table. And every Monday, she went to the bank. Now, I think when I started getting a job was that, you know, you have direct pay, so you can't do that. But she opened up, and I would put, she would count $10, $8. And she started deposit the money. She had an account for her and my dad. She would deposit their checks. They always worked. And my sister, she opened up an account, her name. So the money, then I went to high school, started to get a part-time job. And then I always put the money on the top of the table. I, this went through high school and college. When I finished college, we started talking about that the money would be to go to law school, Seton Hall in Newark. And what happened was... I went up buying the business that I that the job that I was working with, Hamburger Place. Oh. So it all started with my mom opened up an account with my name and her name, and then I was always scared to take money out because I always she would always tell me the amount I had. Now, what would so you I do, Mario? To... What if you were a kid and you wanted to buy something? Baseball cards, bubble gum, comic books, well, whatever the case may be. What would you do? That was the problem. I was always scared to ask her for money. Uh-huh. To spend, so I I try not to spend, and then when I did wanted to buy something, she would take inst- she the money that I, she deposited, she would never take out, and I started thinking that I didn't want to make the amount less. So what she would do is like if I had when I start getting the job, I was getting eighty dollars a week, let's say part time or whatever, she would give me twenty dollars or forty dollars, whatever I wanted to buy, she would take it before she deposited. But the the money that went to the bank, we would never withdraw. I got and you. Well, when I put- it, it, it sounds like a very sound manner of uh, financial instruction, Mario. Yes. Did and, you end up going to law was, school? Did you end up going to law school? No, I ended up buying the business that I was working with. Right after, right after I finished college, I ended up buying that the hamburger place here in Jersey City. I don't want to say the name, and I'm I still own it to this day. And I never did go to law school, but uh, I'm a business owner and I have real estate. Well, but that's how it all started with my mom and put the, you know, like the the people in the supermarket give you like 50 cents. I don't think they allow the kids to do that. And the kids don't have paper out anymore around the neighborhoods. I don't think they well, do that either. it's very few newspapers being delivered these days, Mario. Great call. I want to squeeze in at least one more here. Guy and Yonkers just got to be quick because we got the AC report in the wings. Go ahead. OK, I'll make it quick. Um, I wanted to talk about assimilation and I have sort of a parallel story that involves Notre Dame football coach Lou Holtz, who uh, at the time was coaching one of the better teams in the country at Notre Dame in the late 80s, early 90s. And he used to tell recruits uh, in their first year at the school that 
you know, if they sort of weren't getting with the program, he'd tell them, you know, we didn't recruit you for us to become you. We recruited you to become us, Mm -hmm. meaning absorb our culture because it's successful. And, you know, we, we aren't here to modify our program to fit what you think we should do and how we should practice. And I don't think, um, I, I think people who come here from other countries and hold on dearly to the life they had in their previous country aren't really getting with the program. And for whatever reason, it's become politically incorrect to um, embrace assimilation as a goal. Right. But That's true. The- uh, you're exactly right. Guy, I have to run. Thank you. All right. Uh, we'll do the AC report with John Brennan straight ahead. WABC. This is the AC report. Well, they blew up the chicken man in Philly last night. They blew up his house too Down on the boardwalk They're ready for a fight Gonna see what them racket boys can do Now there's trouble bussing in From out of state And the DA can't get no relief Gonna be a rumble on the promenade and the gambling commissioner's hanging on by the skin of his teeth. Everything dies, baby, that's a fact. But maybe everything that dies someday he comes back. Put your makeup on, fish your hair up pretty, and meet me tonight in Atlantic City. It is time for our weekly look at one of the most interesting cities in the world and the things that go on within the 48 blocks that constitute it. That's right. It's time for the AC Report. When we hear the other side of midnight, take a look at what's happening in Atlantic City. I couldn't be more thrilled about our guest this morning. He is a veteran journalist. He's worked at some of the best publications in America. And he is currently covering, among other subjects, the expansion of legal gambling all over the country, really, for usbets.com. I'm very pleased uh, to welcome John Brennan. Hello there, John. Good morning. Yeah. Hi, Frank. Thanks for having me. You know, I got to tell you, I've covered gambling issues in the New York, New Jersey region for probably 20 years or so. And the last four years have included probably more twists and turns than any other period of those two decades. So, you know, I I realize it's a a lot to ask a listener to try to get their head around it uh, while they're trying to lead a normal life. So I can understand. I appreciate that. uh, That that is for sure. Now, you're not related at all to the former director of the CIA, John Brennan, are you? (laughs) No. In fact, uh, I always like to say, if uh, if somebody named Brennan has money, I'm not related to them, <laughs> including him. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, what exactly is usbets.com? Uh, yeah, well, it's a uh, uh, basically a, uh, a news outlet that covers, as I said, the expansion of the gambling across the country. So there's about a dozen websites. There's a njonlinegambling.com. There's a penbets.com, right? mibets.com for Michigan, and so on and so forth. And uh, you know, we're adding more sites as the uh, gambling expansion continues. And so, um, you know, it's funny because the a newspaper as a core business, what they what they had was they did a lot of local reporting. 
to attract an audience. And then when they got a good size circulation, they pretty much had a local market, right? So then businesses want to advertise uh, to those customers. How, you know, where do they find customers in the region? Well, they go to the uh, to that newspaper, and then they went to their website, you know, 20 years ago. And as newspapers are kind of dying off, this is sort of a substitute where, but it's the same concept. So I cover gambling uh, expansion in the same way I did for the Bergen record four, year, four or five years ago. Um, you know, everything about it, good, bad, and ugly, you know, all that's the same, you know, as I'm doing. It's just that it's on websites specifically. There's no, you know, newspaper, uh, you know, leftover to uh, to deal with anymore. But it's basically the uh, uh, the same business model where we attract a lot of customers that are interested in understanding the expansion of gambling and what's legal, what's illegal, what's good and bad. And so that draws eyeballs that are attractive, obviously, to uh, online casino companies, sports betting companies, that sort of thing. So that's done the business model. But just like with a traditional newspaper 30 years ago, our news division is just a news division. We cover all the events. We don't, you know, I'm aware of kind of how the business works a little bit, but it has nothing to do with our coverage. Mm-hmm. Understood. Now, it may seem odd for a segment that's ostensibly about Atlantic City to begin in New York. But uh, given the news that we're seeing this week, that within any day now, really, with this week or uh, possibly as soon as tomorrow, if this New York state budget passes, we could see an agreement to put a casino of all places in Manhattan, uh, which I never thought I'd see. As an analyst of the gambling business, what would a Manhattan casino mean for gambling interests in Atlantic City? Well, I mean, the simple answer would seem to be, well, that's terrible, right? A lot of people who live in the New York City area, why would they bother going to Atlantic City anymore? That's going to hurt their business. But, you know, I've been covering this so long. I mean, if you go back 16 years when Pennsylvania and New York first opened their casinos, the prevailing wisdom was, oh, Atlantic City won't be hurt at all. You know, they've got the higher-end casinos. They've got better uh, entertainment, much better restaurants. They've got live dealer table games. They've got so many more attractions than these sort of local spots in Pennsylvania and New York that people will still keep going. Boy, was that wrong. Within five years, their <laughs> revenue was their revenue was down about 50% in five years, okay? They, what they forgot was that gamblers, if they don't travel for two hours, not only the time is saved, they're not spending money on gas, they're not spending money on tolls, they're not spending money on other things. That gives them more money to gamble. That's what gamblers like to do, right? So it was a flawed concept. Well, so what happens after that? New Jersey lawmakers are desperate now, about 10, 12 years ago. How do we find a new source of revenue for the casinos? And not only because there's thousands of jobs in South Jersey involved, obviously, but also the, the casinos used to supplement the horse racing industry in New Jersey. And that industry had already been dying. And so if the casinos, casinos go down, they take the horse tracks with them. And without the horse tracks, you lose the horse farms. Without the horse farms, you've got condos all over the you know, concrete state. So, uh, so what can they possibly do? And then in 2011, they come up with the idea, let's have a referendum to see if we can get citizens to in, in the state to legalize sports betting. What the heck? And residents approved it overwhelmingly. So then at that point, the NFL and the other leagues sued because they had a right to sue against this uh, because of federal law. And the prevailing wisdom, again, was well, there's no way that uh, New Jersey's ever going to win this thing. Well, six years later, the Supreme Court strikes down the federal law and basically gives uh, Nevada's monopoly the heave-haw when now any state can happen, and, and here we are. And finally, just a few months ago, you know, the arrival of mobile sports betting in New York, that was definitely going to shave, oh, 20, 25 percent of the revenue numbers in New Jersey, right? Those customers don't have to cross the Hudson River anymore. And then New Jersey's numbers in January and February came out. They've remained plenty strong. So for whatever reason, uh, you know, gambling and what's going to happen with the next step 
it doesn't seem to mesh with the, the conventional wisdom very often. Uh, so uh, given what you just said, the life lessons from competition from Pennsylvania and elsewhere, and that the conventional wisdom is so often wrong, what would be your prediction for what a Manhattan casino would mean for Atlantic City? Well, I, I, I do think it would hurt, and in part because, um, you know, you have to realize that if you go back from, like, say, the mid-2000s to the, uh, the mid-2010s, Wall Street analysts were saying for years, 12 casinos in Atlantic City is way too many uh, competitors in a market. They're not big enough to handle it, and so something has to give. And then in 2014, unfortunately, four casinos closed, and then in 2016, another one closed. So they're down to seven. Well, this is thousands of jobs and, and lost in the economy in South Jersey. Uh, there were times when Atlantic County was the uh, the foreclosure capital of the United States. I mean, it was just a disaster. And then, but of course, the seven remaining casinos had a chance to survive because they had less competition. And then two more casinos opened in 2018, and now there's nine. So was that too many? I mean, that's borderline. So it's not just that they might be hurt by uh, a casino in Manhattan, let's say, but that they're 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 not that definitely solid enough that if they really take a bigger hit than they expect, that they're all going to stay in business. And that's what the real concern is. And I, I think it's a fair concern. Yeah, you're right. I don't want to make any assumptions based on what my experience has been before, but it would seem to stand to reason that it would be harmful to them. Uh, talking with John Brennan, he's a journalist. He writes for usbets.com, does a lot of great work on there related to horse racing, related to gambling in general, and related to Atlantic City. Uh, if the two other spots, and they're trying to get three casinos in the New York City area, if the two other spots are in Yonkers and Queens, which appears to be at least a strong possibility, would that be the same deal, same deal as a Manhattan casino, you think? Uh, well, possibly, because, you know, right now, uh, Aqueduct and, and Yonkers are what they call racinos. So if you're just a slot machine player, you got all you need. They got thousands of slot machines, right? It's great. But for a lot of people, the casino experience, the full casino experience is they want to have live dealer table games. They sure. want to play poker against other people. They want to play blackjack, craps, and, you know, things that people see in the movies if they don't go to casinos themselves. And um, so that would be a big upgrade. So there are probably people in both Westchester and Queens, who aren't satisfied with the racino idea. So they're going to Atlantic City to get the full boat. And so if those change, that's a, that's a big deal. So it is an issue. And, uh, you know, it's ironic that two uh, lawmakers in New York who are the most influential in Albany uh, based on gambling issues are Gary Pretlow from Yonkers and Joseph Adabo, whose Queens district includes Aqueduct. Mm-hmm. So uh, not only are those the most logical places to, to turn into casinos anyway, you just have to upgrade an existing building. But the two most powerful lawmakers involved also uh, are certainly backing that idea. So I take those two as a given. They're a lock. So now the third one is the question. I'm not as convinced as you that the casino winds up in Manhattan. You know, there's so much political opposition to it. I even talked to Adabo recently, and he, he wasn't that keen on the idea of a Manhattan casino. He feels like he wants it to go somewhere that is an area, you know, they used to call it a need of redevelopment, a need of upgrade, you know, that, that really could get a big economic boost. Well, you know, I mean, that makes Manhattan sense. That, that all makes sense. I mean, I think Manhattan's an awful spot for a casino, uh, personally. Mm-hmm. I've, been, I've been talking about it for all those, all those reasons. You mentioned that sports betting referendum and then the legal challenges that ended up all the way uh, to the Supreme Court. Yeah. What has the legalization of sports betting meant for Atlantic City? Uh, well, it's, it's worked out very well because, uh, in fact, it worked out better than they could have dreamed because, you know, when COVID hit, okay, so 
New York casinos shut down, right? They have no revenue, nothing. They, don't, they didn't have online sports betting. They don't have online casino to this day. But in New Jersey, the people who wanted to go to Atlantic City Casino but can't go anymore, some of them weren't playing online yet, right? They can play any game they want. Any casino game in New Jersey, you can play on your phone if you like. So a lot of those people switched over to doing that. And also sports betting had arrived, and they could do that too. So uh, the uh, New Jersey casinos, the Atlantic City casinos, were actually getting a revenue stream throughout the COVID era. And it may have actually literally you know, kept a couple of their doors open. So that worked out really well for them. And you know, it took a while for the casinos to sort of uh, get a hold of this thing. And keep in mind, 90% of the uh, bets on, in New Jersey take place online. I mean, there's plenty of betting at the casinos, but it doesn't hold a candle to across the entire state and how many people like to gamble on their phone. And um, recently, New York, right before the end of football season, they legalized online mobile sports betting. And the state of New York is taking a pretty big chunk of the proceeds. I think it's about a 51 percent tax on the proceeds from uh, sports betting that's done mob- on mobile phones and so forth in New York. Yeah. Has the the legalization of mobile sports betting in New York her sports betting in New Jersey, does the data suggest that anyway? Uh, not yet it hasn't. I mean, it doesn't help, but I don't think it, it really is going to make that big of a difference. But, mm. you know, I'm so intrigued by the operators because, you know, New Jersey's tax rate is, is like one-third or one-fourth of what New York's is, right? So they are very upset about New York's rate. And, you know, I've mentioned a couple of times in my podcast that, you know, when it comes to gambling, New York is like that remarkably attractive and high-maintenance man or woman that you dated when you were young. And <laughs> you, didn't want, you, you didn't want to put up with a lot of things, right? But it's just, it's just so hard to resist. Now, you know, New York is the largest state in the country that offers any legal sports betting, much less mobile betting. So, you know, when it, when it comes time for these same gambling operators who groused about the tax rate that's so high to decide whether to try the New York market anyway – there were no shortage of bettors among the big players, and seven applications wound up being approved. And they don't like it, but if you're a New York taxpayer, especially if you're not a gambler, you're like, this is great. We're making hundreds of millions of dollars a year thanks to this high tax rate. So, um, again, New York is so big and so appealing that they just couldn't resist. So the bottom line for taxpayers is it's a bonanza as long as the operators stick around for bettors, and so far that's fine. Now, the high overhead costs could lead to, like, uh, you know, unappealing odds down the road where operators feel like I, I can't make enough money with this tax rate to keep my, my doors open. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll make the gamblers pay more per lost bet. Of course, that may turn them off and turn them onto the illegal market. But, um, you know, there, it's going to be interesting to see if these big companies can really hang in there at that massive tax rate. There seems to always be a great deal of news surrounding the Atlantic City pilot program, and uh, including this week, it seems like there's a lot of people discussing and debating the future of the Atlantic City uh, pilot program. Explain to those of us who are New Yorkers and those of us that uh, are laymen, what exactly is the Atlantic City Casino pilot program? Yeah, of course, the pilot stands for payments in lieu of taxes. I mean, basically, they're taxes, but they're just uh, worked out a little differently. So if you go back six years ago, think about Atlantic City Casino, right? They're not making that much money off online casino yet. Sports betting is, is just a dream, and they don't know if they're ever going to get that. And they're taking on water financially. So they work out a deal that instead of paying classic real estate taxes, they would just make these annual pilot payments instead, knowing that if things got worse, then they would be simpler for them this way have to pay less so they could sort of hang in there. But, of course, that online casino revenue explodes in the past six years, and now you have what's going to be a growing uh, pilot bill for them, right? 
And then the casinos point out, look, we're partners in this mobile sports batting. It's on like a casino deal, but it's the operators that keep the bulk of the revenue, not us. They get they keep about two thirds or so. So that means it hardly does seem fair for the casinos to have to pay a full tax rate on revenue that mostly doesn't even go to their pockets. Well, and now we get now we get to where politics comes in, and it's true in almost every state, including New York. Right? Looks to me as a third party. How about an objective approach to be fair to everyone? Charge the casinos full price on their own revenue at their casinos, and then only one third or so of the revenue from those two new new sources of gambling dollars, because that's about how much the casinos get to keep. Well, but of course, the, legis- the legislature instead passed a law that late last year, quickly signed into law by Governor Murphy, that eliminates the new revenue uh, from the tax equation entirely. I'm not sure that's fair either. Why is that? What was the rationale behind eliminating the new revenue from the tax uh, from the tax year entirely? Well, uh, outgoing state Senator Stephen Sweeney sort of infamously lost his uh, his reelection bid in November. He just testified before a panel in Trenton that he thinks that four of the nine Atlantic City casinos will close unless they get a break on this. And that was met with a lot of skepticism. But remember, you're talking about lawmakers who saw five casinos close between 2014 and 2016. Sure. So it's not one of those things of like, oh, come on, that could never happen. They never close a casino. Casinos make money, blah, blah, blah. Well, it happened. So it made them kind of nervous. And I think it was enough to say, you know what? Let's give the casinos a break just in case they need it. Well, that's fair. Um, there's been a lot of discussion, a lot of uh, wondering about the future when it comes to esports betting. I'm not even completely sure I understand what esports are. What are we talking about when we talk about esports, and how do people bet on that stuff? Yeah, it's a little difficult for people over 50 like myself who aren't covering this industry to understand that it's not that unusual, well, pre-COVID anyway, for an arena to attract 15,000 people to go there to watch young people play video games on large screens that they watched and, and playing the comp- kind of competitive game. You know, I guess the parallel is if you're a kid, you're playing football, basketball, and then you want to watch the pros play on TV because they're even so much better at the game than you are. And you can relate, you understand the game because you mm-hmm. play it. Right. And so that's true of younger people too. They play uh, Madden 22, Call of Duty, Overwatch, uh, League of Legends, all these games. So they want to see somebody who's the best in the world at it. And that's what these people are. And so uh, just this week, a company called Esports Entertainment Group, they were approved by the New Jersey regulators. So now they're offering, as of today, uh, betting on various esports tournaments going on. You know, look, I don't know anything about these games, by the way, either. But, um, you know, it, it's, just, it's just kind of what's next, right? And for casinos, they really like it because in Atlantic City, they want to have – they want to be the national center for esports uh, tournaments. They, the first one was in uh, March where they had a Madden 22 contest, attracted hundreds of competitors – and, and hundreds of other people who wanted to watch the competitors, right? So how do you get a young person to a casino? That's been a difficult, difficult uh, idea and, and concept for these casinos, and now they seem to have a way. Um, but, you know, so you, you might wonder what's New York going to do with this. Well, I mean, a lot of gambling innovation dating back to the 1970s, it, orig- it originates in Nevada, New Jersey. Then certain other states tend to be not too far behind, certainly Delaware, sometimes Pennsylvania, or Michigan, or Mississippi, but New York, they tend to be less aggressive on that front across the board. Uh, it could be years before either online casino gaming or esports betting is available. New Jersey has them all already. As it stands now, though, which casinos in Atlantic City, if any, are offering the opportunity to bet on esports? Or is this all just future prospects? 
Well, I mean, Hard Rock Casino is the one that hosted this this first tournament, and other casinos certainly are interested in this. Um, it, it's just it, it's it's been talked about as the next big thing for five years, and mm. you know, especially since uh, since sports betting was legalized. Like, well, this is what this is what young people watch. Some of them don't even watch the NBA or the NFL, right? They just follow this stuff, and so you want to get them. It's it's a lucrative idea, um, but it hasn't quite you know, born fruit, fruit yet. But that's why I say like New Jersey tends to be the, uh, the pioneer. So they're going to do this. They're doing it now. And then in six months or a year or 18 months, other states are going to look and see how did it work out. And like the other things, it's probably going to work out pretty well. And eventually it's going to spread. But uh, it's just, you know, to me, if you're a casino executive, you just have to look at what's the bottom line. I'm trying to get people to gamble. How do I get them to gamble? It may seem confusing at first that, you know, people under 30, they want to watch other people play video games, right? Or esports. It, it's hard to it's hard to imagine a little bit, but that's that's what it is. That's how it is. That's what they watch. And so there's no point in sort of thinking, well, that makes no sense to me. If you're a businessman, you you go where the customers are, and you and you do something that's going to appeal to those customers. So I think that's why this is going to roll out, you know, quite a bit in the next several years. But it may take several years. We I spoke last week with the one of the vice presidents over at Bally's. He was describing this new revolving bar that's opening next month at Bally's. It sounds pretty neat to me. Um, uh, what's your take on this? Is this the kind of thing that will maybe bring back Bally's to its former glory? It's had a few a rough few years. Yeah, this is really intriguing to me for a couple of reasons. Um, one is last fall I went down to Atlantic City and, and I took a tour of Bally's with some of the executives and. You know, this was a Caesars property that was kind of overlooked for a number of years. Caesars Entertainment had two other casinos in the city that they sort of favored. And so Bally's was sort of left out. And not only did longtime visitors decide to stop staying there because they didn't like the look of the place anymore, but the executives had found out that a lot of the feedback they got from people was saying, yeah, that's not a good place to go. I don't want to go there. And it turned out they had never even stayed there. Mm. But the word of mouth was so strong. So there's a lot to overcome for Bally's. They're pretty much the ninth casino, right, out of nine. So the bar itself is called Carousel, and it's going to move about as slowly as a revolving restaurant does. And look, there's only 24 seats, so what's the big deal? But Bally's is on the Atlantic City boardwalk. And if any visitors hear some good buzz about this casino, it's easy enough to stop in at this bar, see what it looks like. It's kind of cool. Uh, it's near the completely renovated new lobby near the refurbished area for table games and slot machines. You're going to get people to say, hey, this place looks OK. And hundreds of the rooms have been redone also. So if somebody decides to stay again, they're going to share on social media with their friends. Wow, I got a good deal in the room and this place is beautiful. It looks like they just uh, uh, painted it a couple months ago, which will be true, by the way. So I think it's a good idea for them to do everything they can to change, try and change the perception. That's hard to do after a long time, right? If somebody has been down on a name or a brand for 15, 20 years, it's tough to win them over. But I, I think they're spending more than $100 million on all this. So uh, they're certainly putting the effort in. And I think we're going to see this summer if this is going to move the needle. Uh, I'm looking forward to checking it out at least once uh, to see the see mm-hmm. the novelty. How are the uh, casino numbers out of the gambling numbers in general coming out of Atlantic City these days? Are things looking up for 2022? Uh, they are, of course. I mean, it's not a surprise that uh, in January and February, the numbers overall for the industry are up probably almost 30 percent because there's, there's less COVID, right? It's not no COVID at that point, but it's much less. So they're certainly, you know, turning the corner on that. And um, I, I think that this summer in particular is going to be huge. I mean, my sentiment is, and I, I have nephews and nieces and I know other young people because of the fact that 
A, they're young and maybe a little reckless, and B, they knew that COVID was mostly striking much older people. They weren't as cautious about They might not say much or, you know, they might just have a house party and try not to let anybody know they're all getting together. But they haven't been, you know, hiding in hiding for two years. They just haven't been. But people 40, 50, 60 and over, certainly they were much more cautious and rightly so. So I think a lot of them haven't been to Atlantic City in two years. And they probably usually go in the summer. That's the high season. So I think we're going to see a kind of a, a, I don't know if it's a boom or a baby boom. We're going to see uh, on the boardwalk and all across Atlantic City this summer. I think the number is going to be very, very good. Well, it's uh, going to be in- an interesting summer uh, as we uh, as we get there, just a couple of months away from the nice weather months, which Atlantic City has always done well in, even when they struggle in the uh, in the off off summer months. Uh, John, it's oh, it's really a pleasure to talk with you. I hope you'll come back soon. Absolutely. Sounds great. Thanks, Frank. Uh, check out John Brennan at usbets.com. You want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you're welcome to give me a call. 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. The great Christina Aguilera. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Uh, this is the first show I'm doing with my brand new pocket protector. I like the pocket protector. It's very nice. It's uh, I think it's leather or imitation leather. And uh, again, I do feel a lot like John Gambling running around with this uh, with this thing. But I will say that uh, it, it doesn't necessarily fit my pocket comfortably. I mean, it gets in there, but... It, it does feel like a bit of an obtrusion. When I got it yesterday, when it came, I took it out, and I guess my wife didn't hear the segment that I uh, did on this. She said, uh, oh, boy, you know, uh, you're going to start wearing a pocket protector? And she said, that that's very dorky. Are you trying, in, in the name of sanctity of our marriage, are you trying to repel all of the women away? And I said, yeah, honey, it's all part of my plan. But I was glad that I wasn't wearing it today because... I, we took our son Carmine to the pediatrician for his uh, f- his shots. He had to get th- two shots and an oral vaccine as well. Sorry, anti-vaxxers. And, you know, it, it was a wellness visit, but also shots. And I am undressing him while they, you know, so they can weigh him. And then while I'm holding him, after they weigh him, I'm holding him, and this kid spits up all over me, all over me, and it was almost like he aimed directly into my front breast pocket. So he he spit up all this baby formula right into my pocket on my shirt. Now, had I had my brand new pocket protector in, on me at the time at the doctor's office, then I, this would be ruined. With baby formula spit up. Luckily, I didn't do it. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to I'm going to use this pocket protector. That's my plan for the time being. When I don't have a sports jacket, but I'm going to use it in a carmine-free environment. Until next hour, your influence counts. So use it. Let's go. But my heart is
Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. want to wish a happy birthday to one of our best listeners, uh, Michelle Marsh. Uh, she listens every day, a very devoted listener to this show, which, believe me, I know at times that can be very difficult. Uh, so happy birthday to her. I uh, hope all of your wishes come true today and always. So uh, happy birthday to you. Hope you have something fun planned for today. And uh, happy birthday to you if it's your birthday today. Uh, if you if it is your birthday today, you are celebrating along with such notables as the former governor of California, Jerry Brown. You know, yeah, yeah, I haven't heard much about Jerry Brown lately. I would have assumed that he'd be very out there on a whole host of issues, but um, I haven't seen him. Really uh, cutting much of a large media presence. I uh, want to wish a happy birthday as well to Academy Award winning director and the man who directed what might be the greatest film ever made, Francis Ford Coppola. He's 83 years old today. I tell you, I really got to give this guy credit for what he's doing. He's basically selling off $500 million worth of his wine empire. Maybe it's $250 million. Anything over $100,000 or a $1 million, I can't even comprehend. But Coppola is selling off $250 million or $500 million of his wine empire to finance this new movie that he's making that no one else wants to make. Uh, Jackie Chan, 68 today. Russell Crowe is 58. And Tiki Barber is 47 years old today. So happy birthday to everybody who is celebrating today. And I hope you all get to do something fun. All right. Hey, you, I'll tell you what. I will take your calls. Those of you that are holding, I appreciate that you've been patiently holding. I will get to you. But I will tell you. You know what really grinds my gears? You know what kills me? I am so tired of movies being named the same thing. Now, I spoke the other day about how I was trying to watch Coda. Not the other day. I guess it was like three or four weeks ago. I was trying to watch Coda, and instead of watching Coda, I spent 99 cents to watch Coda. Now, it used to be that movies didn't all have these same names, and it's not just similarly themed movies. It's sequels to the same franchise. Do you remember when Debbie Schlussel was on this show back in January reviewing a horror movie? The horror movie was called Scream. Now, 
This is a sequel, just like Scream 2, Scream 3, Scream 4, but instead of calling it Scream 5, they named it the same thing as the original movie. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was released last month on Netflix. That's a sequel. It's not a remake. It's a sequel to the 1974 movie, you guessed it, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it should not be confused with the 2003 remake, which was titled, that's right, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Now, last year there was a film out called The Suicide Squad. Do you know what that was a sequel to? It was a sequel to 2016's movie, Suicide Squad. Uh, four years ago, we covered this with Marlena Shivo around Halloween time. The, four years ago, there was a film released called Halloween. That was supposed to be the direct sequel to the 1978 movie Halloween. Now, to me, two, two, three years ago, Shaft was a sequel to the remake of Shaft from 2000, which, because it was a remake, had the same title as Shaft. This is crazy. This is crazy. Uh, You can't have all these movies with the same title, especially if they're the same franchise. How that do you know how difficult that is to find something to watch and to know if you've seen something? It's really the most annoying thing in the world. Uh, you go to the video store, uh, not that they have video stores, except that one blockbuster that's still there. You go speak into your remote. Oh, I want to watch Shaft. Oh, here's Shaft. Here's four movies all called Shaft. I want to watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Here's five movies all called the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I find it absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. 800-848-WABC. Uh, you can tell me if you agree or disagree. By the way, there was an interesting piece in uh, the Newark Star-Ledger that uh, you can find on uh, NJ.com. I'll, I'll link to it, which ranks the 51 greatest New Jersey movies of all time, all time as my friend Warner Wolf would say. Uh, I'm going to give you what they ranked as the greatest New Jersey movies of all time. But I'm not going to read you all 51. I'll I'll link to it if you want to read it. It's on uh, my Facebook page at uh, facebook.com slash MoranoFan. But if you you have some – another film – I thought it might be fun to get your take on this. If you have another film that you would suggest – is the best New Jersey film of all time. Uh, Give me a call and tell me what you think it is. And what makes a good New Jersey film? Is it just a film that takes place in New Jersey? Is it a film that um, makes New Jersey a central part of what it does? I'll tell you, a couple of films that come to mind right away, all the Kevin Smith films, but especially Clerks, that's very much a New Jersey film. Um, and you know, again, I'll I'll share their list with you because New Jersey does have a pretty rich history when it comes to films. And if you read this NJ.com article, 
They say we've got it all. Cities for gritty crime thrillers, suburbs for tales of disaffected youth, beaches for sun-soaked summer flicks, even rural campgrounds for maniacs to slash unsuspecting teenagers. Not to mention New Jersey's patented blend of hope, melancholy, ambition, and attitude that all but leaps off the screen. By the way, how could I forget another film that's very much a New Jersey film? Atlantic City uh, with uh, Susan Sarandon at her most beautiful and Burt Lancaster. I mean, that is a that is a fine film. You know what, what community I love in New Jersey? And I was surprised. I've always been surprised um, that they didn't film more film. They didn't film more motion pictures there. Cape May, New Jersey. They did film a few Films in Cape May, New Jersey that you might have heard of. But there was really never a film, a mainstream film anyway, that made Cape May a central character in the film. The way Coney Island has been a central character in films. The way Atlantic City has been a central character in films. The way Las Vegas. And I was always surprised because Cape May has such rich history and such beautiful scenery and such incredible history. But... They never really made a, a definitive Cape May movie. I know they made movies that were t- that took place there, but uh, tell me, give me your t- thoughts. Tell me if you share my distaste for films with the same name, or if there's something that you want to add to the list of the New Jersey films. I'll give you. I'll, I'll share with you the list that they that they uh, put together on NJ.com. Pat is in Queens and has been patiently holding. Hello, Pat. Hello, Frank. Yeah, you guessed. He just said that I believe there's nine casinos, but the way I counted, six on the ocean and two on the bay. No, three in the marina, six on the boardwalk. Three in the marina. What's the three in the marina? Borgata, Harris, and the Golden Nugget. Oh, you got it. I'm missing Harris. You're right. All right. All right. Yeah, just seeing. Is there any, anything else you take issue with, Pat? No, 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 no. Do you? Uh, there's a restaurant there. It's not in the casino, though. 1819. Did you ever eat there? 1819. Um, uh, you sure that's what the name of it is? I believe. It's not in the casino. It's an Italian restaurant. It's hard as hell to get a good... No, I think you're probably talking about Cafe 2825. All right. Now, um, I've never been there, but so many of the people that um, that I ask what their favorite restaurant is in Atlantic City, that's the one they name. Cafe 2825. I've been trying to get there. I couldn't get a table last couple times that I went. And then the time before that, I had an opportunity to eat at Chef Vola's or Cafe 2825. And I chose to uh, I chose to eat at Chef Vola. So uh, it's a great place from what I hear. And you know how I know it's good. They have uh, my my landscaper uh, during the off season delivers bread and he delivers bread from Royal Crown. Now, Royal Crown has the best bread in Staten Island, which makes it a pretty strong candidate for the best bread in all of New York City. He would drive the bread every day from Royal Crown all the way to Atlantic City to Cafe 2825. So the bread mm-hmm. they're serving at Cafe 2825 is the bread from Royal Crown, which is how I know it's great. And I was at the White House a few years ago, and thanks for the call, Pat. I was at the White House for a few years ago. It was about five years ago. And the the young woman in charge of the radio broadcasts was from Staten Island. And I asked, well, how do you like uh, how do you like working here at the White House? And she said, 
well, I like it. You know, how do you like being out of Staten Island? Oh, it's fine. It's fine. There's just one thing I really miss. Royal Crown. <laughs> and if you've ever eaten at Royal Crown, um, you exactly know where she's coming from. So I'm not surprised that Cafe 2825 gets such good reviews since they are from, uh, since they are serving bread from Royal Crown. Pamela is in Central Jersey. Hello, Pamela. Hi. Uh, my favorite uh, Jersey movie is Friday the 13th, the first one. My husband's family owned a Harley shop up there in northern Jersey and loaned them a motorcycle. Actually, his cousin was actually in it. He was the motorcycle cop in it. And it's set in Branchville, which is a really cool town in north Jersey, very small town. And uh, we would ride our motorcycle. My husband had a place in Lake Opacon uh, up there. And uh we, it's a neat place to ride a motorcycle, and we go through the, you know, the street. I always like that town. It's pretty cool. And uh, so that has a nostalgic memory for me, and it's, it, it was cool. It was definitely filmed in New Jersey. I see. I don't know if all the hacket scenes were filmed in New Jersey. I'm, I can't remember that. I, I think many of them were. I think many of them were, actually. Uh, Pamela, that's a good one, and that's on this list here. Tom in the Bronx. Hello. Yeah, I, I think I have a solution, Frank. Uh, to what you were talking about, the movies. And when they name a motion picture in succession the same name, it's my thinking they should put, like, uh, like Shaft 1, Shaft 2, Shaft 3, Shaft 4. In other words, and that's a progression. Right, of course that's what they should do. Now, it's funny that you say that, Tom, because years ago... Movies, they never did that. Sequels had a a separate name, you know, so instead of a fistful of dollars, you'd be uh, for a few dollars more. Uh, and, you know, you'd always name it something else. One of the first films ever to be blank part two was The Godfather part two. And Coppola, whose birthday it is today, and again, happy birthday, Francis Ford Coppola. Coppola said they didn't want him to do that. They didn't want him to name it part two. But because Godfather had done so well financially and because it had just won all these awards, including Best Picture, he had a lot more juice. Now, contradictorily, well, I mean, whatever the adjective that I'm whatever the adverb I'm looking for is. He wanted to do the opposite with The Godfather Part 3. He didn't want to call The Godfather Part 3 Godfather Part 3. He wanted to call it The Death of Michael Corleone. But he had so little juice with Paramount, they really had him by the short and curlies at at that time. Uh, They insisted that because he had done so well with Godfather Part 2 that uh, they they call it Godfather Part 3. So it's interesting. I agree with you. They should stick with that Part 2, Part 3. But if they can't do that, then they should at least call it a different name. That's true. That's very true. Well, thank Uh, you, Tom. Very, very on the money there, as usual. 800-848-9222. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Steve is in New Jersey. Hello, Steve. Hey, good morning, Frank. Um, I was calling to commend you on your um, on the return back to the pocket protector. Thank so, you. Um, Thank you. Tying tying it into the movies a little bit. I don't know if you remember a nineteen eighty four movie called Revenge of the Nerd. Oh, I love it, love it, uh, love it. That's um, yeah. you know the, the the you know who the star of Revenge of the Nerds was. Um, let me, I know my favorite character was Booger, and was it, um, the main character was a Wormser? 
but I don't remember the actor's name. Well, uh, Lewis was the main character, but Booger is great. He was Curtis Armstrong. He's the voices on. He's the voice on one of my favorite uh, cartoons or animated series now, um, uh, American American Dad. But the star of Revenge of the Nerds is uh, Robert Carradine. He's the. Oh, that's br- right. That's right. He's the brother of David Carradine, and in the future, I'd definitely like to do a, um, you know, an exploration of David Carradine's death, because I really believe, and Robert Carradine believes, that his brother was murdered. And, you know, his father was the famous, uh, the famous actor John Carradine, who's been in some of the best movies ever made. Yeah, yeah, the Kung Fu Fu series was awesome. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, but every time you said pocket protector, that's the first thing that popped into my mind. And and in the <laughs> mid '80s, they were like kind of like popular, you know. Yeah, I, I mean they're not popular now by any stretch. We're gonna bring sure. it back. I'm back. trying. Watch, do, watch. Do you wear one? Uh, um, sometimes I work. I drive a truck, so sometimes I have a lot of things in my pocket, you know. But um, but more importantly to me, every time you said that, it put me right back in that movie. Don't worry, son. I have the cruise control set at 55. And I got into the wooden wally wagon and walked <laughs> to college. Thank you, Steve. Fred is in Yonkers. Hello, Fred. Hey, Frank. One of the Jersey movies, I can't remember the name, but I think it starred one of your friends, has a line called, Thank you, Mr. Acavano. Oh, with Joe Piscopo, Wise Guys, with him and Danny DeVito, the, with the great Captain Lou best. Albano. One of the best, my friend. That is for sure. That's a great one. That's that's a very strong one. I'm sorry I didn't think of that one myself. May, uh, making our list of the best New Jersey films. Uh, the Star Ledger has a list. I'll tell you what they have on it. But I'd rather hear your suggestions. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC. Tom in Bergen Beach has been patiently holding. Hello, Tom. Good morning, Frank. Always a learning experience with you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I have thought of, of what I wanted to say is uh, I have a couple little things I'd like to say quick. Uh, the guy in Ukraine, the soldiers that shot the other the Russian soldiers. Yeah, I've, I want to point out those soldiers, while they were fighting with the Ukrainian forces, they were Georgian. They were part of a Georgian military unit that was fighting with the Ukrainians. So they're not actually from Ukraine. They're from Georgia, but they're fighting with the Ukrainians, which to me is essentially the same thing. Oh, who, wait a minute. I thought the Ukrainian soldiers shot them. Well, they're fighting with the Ukrainian soldiers. I mean, that's why I didn't overcomplicate it initially. Right, but then yeah. some guy emailed me and said, oh, you got to say those soldiers are Georgian, not Ukrainian. Well, they're fighting with the Ukrainians right. as far as I'm concerned. Well, I, I, here's another perspective on that. As a soldier... I mean, just, you know, something you had to think about it once in a while. I was a, a veteran in Iraq, you know. It might have been a mercy killing. That's what I was thinking. Was. You said they were already wounded, right? And I don't, I don't know much about the story, but I did hear you say that they were wounded. Yeah, I mean, he was okay. sitting there lying, writhing in pain. I, I don't think it was a mercy killing. It sounded like they were uh, they were taunting him before they shot him. Oh, uh, I got you. Uh, I just, the thing I wanted to comment was about the flags, mm-hmm. um, you know, about the people with flags, foreign flags, I, I think it would be prudent and beautiful, you know, uh, for them to represent their new country, America. Um, they can have their old flag, too. I'm, I don't want to take it away from them. You know, like they go to, you know, you, I see it all the time. You go to uh, these um, parades and stuff. 
and I've seen more and more of them at parades and stuff. So I think it's a good thing, and, but I think America should be first. But uh, the street signs with, with the county, country, different countries on it? Mm-mm. I don't know. Yeah, same here. Same here. Thank you, Tom. 800-848-WABC. Mike is in New Jersey. Hello, Mike. Good morning, Frank. Frank, uh, agent, and it was filmed in New Jersey. Uh, it was made in 2003 with Peter Dinklage. And uh, I stumbled across it a few weeks back, and it's a really interesting film. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw it or not. No, it's actually on my list. That's come recommended from a lot of people, but I haven't seen that one. Yeah, it was good. It was a, it was a nice story uh, about uh, just regular people. It was worth watching. I'll check it out. What what genre is it? Is it a comedy, drama? Uh. It's a little bit of comedy, but it's more like a, a drama about uh, human interactions more than anything. But there was some funny stuff in it, too, so a little bit of both. Absolutely. Well, uh, I, I'll check it out. Sounds like it's worth uh, worth seeing. Some of the other ones named in this Star Ledger list include Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, Sherry Baby, which I've not seen, Garden State. Did I see Garden State? Union City, Eddie and the Cruisers, I haven't seen many of these, Loins of Punjab Presents, Snake Eyes, I have seen Snake Eyes. You know what that, Snake Eyes, that's a Brian De Palma film. Snake Eyes is good, but the first 15 minutes is great. The first 20 minutes, that's as good as the first 20 minutes of any movie except maybe Saving Private Ryan. The rest of the movie is not as good as the first 15 minutes, but it's worth seeing the film just because of the first 15, 20 minutes. Uh, but um, the, the rest of the film is good, too. Don't get me wrong, but not like the beginning. I mean, that movie starts out really good, and that is a great New Jersey movie. Alice, uh, that's uh, Atlantic City, to be specific. Alice, Sweet Alice in 1976. So there you have it. Uh, 800-848-WABC. Mike in Pennsylvania. The best New Jersey movie of all time is? Come on. The best, one of the best. You wouldn't have The Godfather without The Waterfront. Ah, so The Waterfront. On The Waterfront. Uh, that's a good on one. On The Waterfront and Carl Malden. When you see Carl Malden with his busted cigarette up there on the terrace, you could smell the coffee from Maxwell House. <laughs> house there and it was you know when you went into Hoboken it was a different you know I, I, I can like I'm, I'm originally from Brooklyn but I did a lot of work in Bettsdale shipyard and all and that and Hoboken was it's still it's still a beautiful place and without that movie you wouldn't have the Godfather because because of that you know I, I think you're right I think you're right uh, on a number of counts one because I don't think uh, Brando would have become the big star that he did without that film. And two, it showed studios, even though that was, you know, almost 20 years earlier, it showed studios that you could make a film that dealt with organized crime that was marketable, that people would want to see. Let me tell you something. When you see the character actors in there, you have two tons of Tony Calimto, the fighters in there, Lucivino's in there. There's so many of a Fred Wynn from The Monsters. He's in that movie. So many people are in that movie when they were first starting their career. And uh, it's, it's the other one you talked about, Piscopo and, and uh, Danny DeVito, that movie ranks up there with, with uh, the odd couple and all. That's, that's the, 
I mean, I, I die when I see that. Oh, me too. Watch it again. It's so funny. And the part when they took the gambling money, when we were kids, that happened to us. We used to run down uh, bets to OPB. And we had all this money. We said, you want to know something? Screw that. We'll keep the money. <laughs> and, you know, and we sat, I swear to God, we sat there. We were, we were you know, listening to the race, the pressure that was on you. I said, I'll never do that again. We, we made a couple hundred bucks, but I said, we'll never do that again. You know what I mean? That, 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 I love it, Mike. I love it. Mike, thank you. You know what film I do want to mention? And I didn't see it on the list. I have to look here. But what film I did want to mention, it's a film that celebrates Italian culture in America. But it's not a mafia picture. There's no mention of gangsters or gangsterism, which is nice once in a while. Because so often, cinematically, Italians get portrayed as just being part of organized crime. It's a film called Big Night, which is just terrific. It takes place, it's these two brothers that run an old world style Italian restaurant in New Jersey. Stanley Tucci is in it. I think Tony Shalhoub is in it as well. It's a really great film and uh, very clever and it's very funny. It holds up. It's about uh, maybe about 25 years old, but it still holds up to this day. I think it's very, very, uh, very good. 800-848-9222. Greg is in New Jersey. Hello, Greg. Hey, Frank. Uh, Palookaville. I never saw uh, that. Oh, my God. It's, it's uh, I think Vincent Gallo. Vincent Gallo's in there. Uh, it looks like they filmed it around, like, the Jersey City swamp area and stuff when they robbed. Uh, they did a robbery over there. But uh, excellent film because he, he's a great actor, that Vincent Gallo. Everything he plays. Um, but, uh, yeah, it looks like Jersey City, the area where they filmed that. I'll have to check it out. What, what kind of what kind of film is it? Is it a drama, adventure? Uh, a, a comedy drama, like the typical film that he would play. Remember that movie that Gallo was in when he uh, bet on the, uh, uh, the Buffalo Bills and uh, he had to go to jail and all that, and he met that girl up in Buffalo, went to see his parents and all that. It's a type of dry drama, comedy. It, it, it's it's really good movie, really good. Uh, no, it sounds good. It sounds good. I'll check yeah. it out. Palookaville, all right. Mike in Manhattan, what do you got for us, Mike? Uh, the Wrestler with uh, Mickey Rourke oh, and uh, Judah Friedlander. You know, I didn't even think about that. That is brilliant. Of course. That is a great Jersey film. And uh, Marissa Tomei. Yeah, please. She's gorgeous in that film. I love her character in that yeah. film. Yeah. That's a that's a good one, Mike. Thank you. Sarah in Wisconsin, what do you have for us? Hi, Frank. I don't know if anybody's mentioned it, but how about Atlantic City with Burt Lancaster? Oh, come on. That was That was the second one I mentioned, Sarah. Oh, I'm sorry. I came in late. It was so great. Such a great film. Sarah, okay, what, what, what are you doing that you're coming into the show late? You can't be tuning in late. I rely on you. You know, I'm the girl from Wisconsin that eats the same thing for every meal. Well, so I was down planning so, so my you, menu. Right, well, you shouldn't have to worry about thinking about what you're eating today because it's the same thing as yesterday. <laughs> I know. The lazy Martha Stewart right here. But wonderful show again, as usual. But I missed some of it because... I had the audacity to sleep a little. Oh, how dare you, Sarah. How dare you? Thank you. Uh, by the way, if you ever do miss portion of the show, we would like you to subscribe to the podcast. Just search The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano on any podcast app. Uh, you can also go to WABCradio.com 
and click on podcast. And uh, if you just want to hear the interviews and so forth, you can do that by um, you can do that by just searching Frank Moreno interviews. So if you want to hear the whole show, which is what we recommend because it's a show that's recommended listening holistically. Or if you want to uh, just listen to the individual interviews, you can just download the Frank Moreno interview podcast or subscribe to it. Bernie is on Staten Island. Hello, Bernie. Hello, uh, uh, Frank. The two best movies ever made, The Place in the Sun with Elizabeth Taylor and Montgomery Clift, uh, and from the Theodore Dreiser novel, A, Pl- A Place in the Sun, Made in 1951. Yeah, no, I'm familiar with A Place in the Sun. I didn't realize that was a Jersey film. It was made in it. It was made in uh, Jersey in New York, and the best movie ever made was uh, Angels with Dirty Faces. Uh, Jimmy Cagney. Jimmy Cagney made in New Jersey and New York. The two best movies ever made. You know, it's funny. I like both of those movies very much. I don't think of either of them usually when I think of Jersey films. Uh, I, I like Empire in the Sun, the, the, or A Place in the Sun. This is the first that I'm hearing that it was filmed in New Jersey. I didn't know that. I take your word for it, but I, I didn't know that. Kevin is in New Jersey. Hello, Kevin. Yeah, Frank. Um, a film that actually starts in New Jersey. Uh, the opening credits were filmed in my neighborhood, and my friends were actually in it. They show my friends running up to the car as they're pulling away. The Karate Kid. Oh, you're kidding. Yes. They, they, he's supposed to be leaving Newark, but it's actually in Harrison. This, the opening credits are filmed in Harrison. He's packing up his station wagon with his mom, and he's leaving. And, and my friends go running up to the car to say goodbye and stuff. There's like six or seven of my friends from the neighborhood that actually are in the opening credits. What a thrill that must have been for them. Yeah, they still talk about it to this day. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. Yes. Hey, that's a good one. Thank you very much, Kevin. Uh, I got another email here. Uh, I should have mentioned this one. This is a good one. Copland. Copland is a great New Jersey film. You got uh, a wonderful cast. One of the best casts of any movie ever. Robert De Niro, Sylvester Stallone, Ray Liotta. Even Michael Rappaport is great in that film. Uh, Catherine Moriarty, Harvey Keitel. I mean, you you can just uh, Janine Garofalo is great in that film. It's a wonderful picture, and uh, it is a great New Jersey film. See, that's the kind of thing when I think of a Jersey film, it's something like that, where it's very noticeable that it takes place in Jersey. That's not really the um, that's not really the case with um, you know the the other films that the that the fellow mentioned. Um, at least not in my view. Hey, we'll do the $1,000 minute next. If you want to try and win $1,000, be the seventh caller right now to 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And if you are the seventh caller, you'll get to try and answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. If you can do it, you will be the proud recipient of $1,000 straight ahead. WABC. It's the all-night record man. There's a man you should know who puts on a show each night at a radio station. When you're going to bed, he gets up instead and he goes to his odd occupation, Judy. 
stay up stand the all night record man friend of every night our music fan all night long he's at his post to play the tunes you love the most stay up stand the all night the all night man. record man we want to thank Deb Valentine and her husband who, who rediscovered this song and brought it to my attention and now everybody listens to it since we started playing it on the on the air everybody now listens to this I mean sales have just gone through the roof uh, let me I'd also be remiss if I didn't mention a couple of other birthdays you know who Roberta in Staten Island the caller it's her birthday today as well as former telephone talent coordinator from our program. Gabby Lopez. It is Gabby Lopez's birthday today. Um, see, now, I didn't know it was her birthday. I would have gotten her a card or something. But uh, it is Gabby's birthday. So anybody that works here that sees Gabby, please wish her a happy birthday. Without further ado, it is time to lucky person a chance to win some money. It's time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. Thank you, Chris Libertini. Let us say hello to Artie in Montville. Hello, Artie. How are you doing, Frank? Um, I, you know, I'm doing pretty well, I think. Good. How are you? I love your show, by the way. You're terrific. Oh, thank You're you. Very talented guy, and you do the best interviews. Oh, well, that's very kind of you. Appreciate that, Artie. Um, you, you, so that means if you're a listener regularly, you must be familiar with this contest, right? Yeah, yeah, I am. Okay. Yeah. Most important thing is don't get nervous. You don't want to freeze on a question. These are all relatively easy questions. I think uh, the only one that might be tricky is question nine. Uh, question seven is a little tricky, but other than that, I think, uh, I think you're going to be just fine. Uh, just to take your time and we'll start the clock after I ask the first question. If you get a question right, I'm just going to move right to the next one. Okay. You got it. All right. What sound do dogs make? Bark. What type of clothing do you wear when you go swimming? Swimming trunks. Who was president after Bill Clinton? Uh, George W. What professional sport is having opening day today? Baseball. What Native American princess was the subject of a Disney film? Uh, Pocahontas. What former New York City police commissioner has a son who is a WABC radio talk show host? Frank Kelly. Who is the current chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff? We'll take it. General Milley, we'll take it. Uh, What is the medical term for bad breath? Halcytosis. That's fine. Which country produces the most coffee? Uh, Colombia. The answer is Brazil. Oh, Brazil. Brazil. Uh, See, that's uh, the one I knew that was going to be somewhat tricky, but you did really well, I must say, Artie. And uh, under the the dictate from our owner, John Katsimatidis, you have won $100. Oh, terrific. So, I'll take it. All right. Well, I'm going to put you on hold. Congratulations. Okay. What are you going to spend the $100 on? I'm going to give it to my wife. 
Ah, well, there you go. Smart man. That, see, that, that, I thought you were smart when you got so many questions so quickly. <laughs> now I know you're even smarter than I realized. All right. <laughs> all right, Artie. I'm putting you on hold. Talk to Molly. Or, okay. All right. Hang on. Um, now, um, you know, it is funny. There is a little bit of controversy because I got an SMS text message here from one listener, and you can SMS text message me as well at 816-8-MORENO. Uh, Frank, I'm going to make a stink about this. Your call screen-er hung up on me. I was the seventh caller, and you told me I could come back after a month if I played before three months since I've caught since I played. Frank, you told me I could play the game as long as it's after 30 days for a second time. It's way after 30 days. It's like three months. And you called screen a uh, hung up on me. I'm getting ticked off right now. Um, well, I, you know, I don't know. Is the deal three months or is it? What, what is the deal? I don't remember saying that. I think, um, isn't it? I think the rules are on the website at WABCradio.com. I don't remember saying a month. Yeah, I don't remember anything like that. I thought if you played, then you can't play. Like, I, I don't think a lifetime ban is fair. Well, not a ban. It's like you've already played the game. Right, but does that mean that's no good for? I think it's uh, here. You know what? Whatever the official rules are, there yeah. are the rules. All right, we're going to check. The, the we're going to check the rules. Molly, do you have anything to add to this uh, situation here? This controversy. I I feel like I vaguely remember uh, th- three months. All right. Well, we're going to we're going to check on the other the side of glass. I don't know what you're saying. You'd have to come in here. But well, I think I, I vaguely to, remember three I, months being the rule. But I see. I think I uh, actually a lot changes every day all the time. Right. I actually thought it was yeah, six, I actually thought oh, it was geez. 6 months. <laughs> oh, now Philippe is coming in. He's, uh, you could turn your mics off. Uh, we don't need to hear this whole thing. Thank you. Um so apparently it was Philippe that hung up on him, not uh, not Molly. Uh, although I noticed Molly seemed to have a little bit of an issue with Joe and Ron Conkman today. He was trying the whole day to get in. It didn't work out for him. There you go. It pays to be nice to Molly. She can punish or she can reward. That's the thing. Uh, 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. If you want to comment on anything we are discussing, I will tell you that, um, that, uh, one second here. Oh. Uh, you know, one of the things that I'm never really sure how to handle are children's parties. So there's this whole branch of Moranos that settled on Long Island, right? All, most of the of my grandfather's family, I think there were six of them. All of them lived in either Brooklyn, Manhattan, or Staten Island for most of their life. Only one. My Uncle Louie, who died before I was born, fled to Long Island. And the Long Island Moranos, or if you use the plural, I guess it's the Long Island Morani, they are his progeny. So um, I don't get to see them that often, but, you know, there's a couple that, uh, that I, you know, I do like very much. They were at our wedding. They sent us a very nice baby gift. And so we were invited to a uh, to Harper's communion his first uh her, her first holy communion and we're looking forward to going and i get the invitation and it's an email invitation which is never my favorite thing i have to be honest but at least you know i i, I probably do better with those than the ones that are sent through the mail but i open this invitation and it's a nice invitation and apparently the theme for this party for Harper's First Communion is 
Let's Be Mermaids. Join us in celebrating our special girls' big day in mermaid tea party style. Now, if it was a white party, I know what to wear to a white party. If it was a black tie party, I know what to wear to a black tie party. If it's casual, I know what to wear to a casual party. If it's a cocktail attire, I know what to wear to that. Um, I have no idea how to prepare for a mermaid tea party. What do I do? Do I uh, have my wife wear tea balls as earrings? Do I'm not wearing fins. I'm not coming dressed as a merman. Uh, so I don't know. I don't really know what to do. And I'm not sure. What, I don't have any mermaid tea party themed clothes. Maybe I could bring a grab a box of social tea cookies and then throw throw some Swedish fish in there or something. Make my own brand of mixture of social tea cookies and Swedish fish. It's a very oddly specific request to host a mermaid style tea party. So I don't know if anybody has any experience with this kind of thing. I certainly do not. Uh, but I'd love to hear your advice. Or if you don't want to call in, because um, we're going to run out of time soon, you can email me as well at uh, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Uh, Lawrence is in Yonkers. Hello there, Lawrence. Hey, how you doing, Frank? Love your show. Listen, I want to make a comment that um, I met Sylvester Stallone in Yonkers at Dunwoody Golf Course when he was filming Copland. Oh, really? He was filming it. Yes, I did. Uh, me and my partner, Al. And he messed it up by saying, when are you going to make another Rocky movie? And that <laughs> well, was, he, that did. Was the he did. The, uh, he did make three more after that. Oh, well, the first one was filled in Yonkers. No, no, no. I'm saying he made three other Rocky pictures after oh, your yeah, interaction. No, I, yeah, I know, but he's not as big as he looks, but his bodyguards are awful big. I, I can imagine. They, we, we, we got kind of shushed away after that remark. And another thing is, what are your, you were talking about bagels the other day, and you mentioned Bagel Corner. I happen to be the baker there, me and my buddy Robert. Oh. And, yeah, one of the one of the callers said, I'm a little nervous here. Yeah, don't be nervous. They said that um, water bagels are the water sprays down in the oven. No, water bagels are kettled. You throw them in boiling water first, and then you you put them in the oven. Oh well, I'm glad so we could kettled. get the truth out about that. Yeah, yeah. We uh, the store's been there for fifty years now, o- over fifty years. Really? Well, you have to send us yeah. some bagels one of these days, Lawrence. Uh, you're going to have to come down and get them. My boss would be happy to give them to you. <laughs> All right, so where is Bagel Corner? Remind me. It's uh, West 235th Street and Netherland Avenue. Uh, you know, I, I got to think the next time I'm going to be. So that's the Bronx, right? Yeah, yeah, and Riverdale, what, the Bronx. Yeah. Oh, it's, oh we, Riverdale. We call it Riverdale. Riverdale. Oh, I know. Yeah. Uh, please, you don't have to get me started. I know how the Riverdale people are. All right, you know, I <laughs> yeah. will. Uh, I will make a trip up to there um, uh, post Easter because I'm doing a whole low carb thing right now to go with my le- m- not drinking. So I will. I will make a trip up there maybe on a Saturday. Do you work Saturdays? 
Uh, yes. No, no, no. Saturday, I'm off. I'm All off. Right. Well, that's not meant to be a trick question there, Lawrence. But No, uh, no, no. But uh, what I'm saying is you, you mentioned your name because I'm going to tell my boss I talked to you. And he'll give you a great untoasted bagel. You'll know I'm listening with scallion. Wonderful. Okay, good. You have locks up there, too? Sure do. All right. We, we got a beautiful You're on. You're on. What time do you open today, Lawrence? Uh, we open at 6 every day, seven days a week. All right. You know what? I may have to make a trip out there today. Even though I'm not eating bagels, maybe I'll grab one for uh, for my wife. Uh, so maybe I'll come up there today. Absolutely. More than welcome. Thanks, Lawrence. Appreciate it. Although, that means I have to wait till 6, right? Means I'm going to get home later. Usually I get home around 6.30. I don't know. Uh, Gail is in Rochelle Park. Hello, Gail. Hello, Frank. How are you doing? I have an idea on what you might want to wear going to a, Mer- a mermaid tea party. I have a little girl, and now she's a big girl. But I think go as the king of the sea trident. Have a trident and have a crown. You know, you don't have to dress up any weirdly way. Well, I like that. I like that. See, now you're now you're speaking my language. Right. It sounds like an awful lot of work to prepare a costume like that, though, Gail. No, you don't have to get a costume. Just get um, – you, you go to the, the shop and say, I want to be like uh, what the god of the sea trident, with a trident and a crown. Okay. That's all you need, and they'll still show something like a green sparkly shirt or, you know, some kind of sequence, something that's not too crazy. But you can dress up for Halloween in it again, and your wife could be your wife, not Ursula. Not well, that would well, be Ursula. That would be a nice change for her, for her to be my wife. 800-848-WABC. Uh, you know, Brandon Lord just uh, sent me a direct message on Twitter. He said... And you, if you can do the same thing, at Frank Morano, that's Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. He said he was told six months before you can play again. Uh, another person um, who got wrong, who was doing well, but she couldn't remember the highest grossing Broadway film of all time, she said she was told six months. So I think it is six months. I think that's the deal. Once you play, I think you have to wait six months. Jeffrey's in Queens. Hello, Jeffrey. Hello, Frank. Uh, first, a bit of whimsy, mermaid. I guess the option would not be merman; it would be Mer Butler. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, That's good. I like that. Right. And the other thing is, uh, I had the, the good fortune. Well, I, 1973, as a 16-year-old, I was working behind a bagel store in Queens. You know, probably, probably one of my business about 20 years ago, but it was around for a long time. And sure enough, they had the the kettle system where you boil the bagels first, then you put them on the. I can see, I can see the the worker right now, his face, you know. Um, it is hot of, and you know, having to put that, it was so hot. But he, you put them on a rack, and you put them down, and you toast them. They were, they were great. The point, the point, one of the funny points of this, Frank, is that I was spoiled thinking that every bagel place in the world was yeah. like that place. See, that's the thing. That's the thing is, it, it, that's the perils of going to a place that's that great early on. You have to start out with a mediocre bagel place so that you appreciate the great bagel places later on. Right. It was so hard to find a good bagel place again. Oh, I can imagine. Jeffrey, thank you. I'm not doing this again. I'm not doing a whole bagel segment because everybody complained that we made them too hungry. Uh, Let's stick with people yelling at me for for not supporting the Ukrainians sufficiently. Let's stick with that. 800-848-WABC. Hey, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame in just a minute. We uh, we didn't get to do a lot of uh, time on that 
yesterday uh, because we had Dan Kavalik on the show. So we're going to do that uh, in just a minute. If you want to call in and be heard on any subject for 15 seconds, anything we've covered on the show or anything on, that's on your mind, 800-848-WABC. That's uh, 800-848-9222. A listener named Isaac just sent me a, a way to order a mermaid T-shirt. I don't usually wear T-shirts, but I might order that. It's pretty good. And that come to think of it, I, ha- I think I have a, a mermaid-themed silk bowling shirt, which is kind of up my alley. i got to find that. A lot of clothes that I don't wear there. I'm going to look for that and then maybe go this T-shirt route if that doesn't work. All right, 800-848-9222, 15 seconds of fame, straight ahead. WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. I'd say this song is catchy. I don't care what anybody says. This is uh, one of our new theme theme songs, courtesy of Stevie G and the Tagamaka Band. Uh, they are just tearing up the charts everywhere. They may go gold with this song. This is going to be big. I don't know how people can purchase this. Stevie G, if you're listening, please let me know how folks can purchase this, because this is a song that is destined to break every record there is. Uh, and... We're happy to play it on the show. Honored that it was written for this show. Um, If you're just tuning in, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame in just a second, where we give you an opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds. If you are just tuning in, Americans are getting set to splurge big time on travel this summer. Warner Wolf thinks the foul line should be renamed the fair line. Uh, We are uh, doing great in terms of podcast downloads, but we want everybody to subscribe to the podcast, The Other Side of Midnight. There's a lot of questions about who, about how children should learn about money. Only 15% of of, uh, parents are talking to their children about money regularly. There's a new NYPD rule which which prohibits relationships between supervisors and their employees that was the first all-out acquittal. In a January 6th case, uh, the guy that tried to paint my house was asking for $5,000. My wife told him to go take a hike. Uh, Patterson, New Jersey is renaming Main Street Palestine Way. In Atlantic City, uh, there's a lot of people very nervous that Manhattan may be about to get a casino. I'm now wearing a pocket protector, and everybody loves the New Jersey film Atlantic City, and everybody loves Wise Guys, and not to be outdone. Our contestant, Artie, 
just won $100 by showcasing his intelligence, and somebody thinks that I should be dressed as King Neptune for this mermaid-themed tea party. Uh, Nothing to do with either the planet or the community in New Jersey. Well, now it is time for... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Victor in Manhattan. For those listeners who are still hung over from St. Patty's Day, this thought should certainly sober them up. Kamala Harris is only a heartbeat away from becoming the most powerful woman on this planet. Mike in New Jersey. Good morning, Frank. Frank, since it's opening day for baseball, I'd like to commend your team of Matt Molly and the rookie, Philippe, because without a great team on the field, you're just a manager. Joe and Ron Konkama. Hey, Frank, great show. Shout out to Frank from Glendale and Steve Ballone. Come on, do something about the LIE. It's like the surface of the moon out here. Have a good day, Frank. Jerry in New Jersey. Best Jersey film, Tattoo, of Bruce Dern and Maude Adams. That is a good one. Shemmy in Brooklyn. Yes, uh, Frank, you allow Steve to get away with a lot of stuff. Pat Buchanan only got 1% of the vote. When he ran against Bill Clinton, and you know, do you hear what Curtis Lewis says about you on the weekend? Come on. Yes, uh, Fred and Yonkers. Hey, Frank, in the spirit of the day, that chap that won the 100 bucks should have said, Thank you, Mr. Akavana. <laughs> Jeff in Suffolk. Frank, with all this nonsense going on in the NCAA, there's no reason why you can't be a merman. <laughs> Harold in Montclair. Yeah, Frank. Uh, um, I just wanted to say there's two new movies uh, in in Monk <clears throat> that have been filmed in Montclair, New Jersey, and uh, it's uh, a good person with Morgan Freeman um, by Zach Braff and Chris in Mount Vernon. Hey, Frank. Love the show. Love you, Maribel. Love you, Alessia. Love you, Christopher. Shout out to Pat. Thank you. And finally, Peter in Queens. Yes, good morning. I'm a Republican for 50 years. I mean, I'm a Democrat for 50 years, and I'm definitely voting Republican, and I think Stan is a moron. Thank you, Peter. Uh, That slams the lid on things for today. Back tomorrow at 1 a.m. with Ask Frank Anything. Come armed with good questions. We've got some great prizes to give away. The Early News with Deb Valentine is coming up next. Coming up at 6, Bernie and Sid show their very special guest, Curtis Lewa. Frank Morano, good day. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.